0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com.
1: All right, let's get back to some boring subjects.
2: Understand the risks to our country.
1: Freedom brings people
2: together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com.
0: Welcome to this episode of We Are Libertarians. My name is Chris Spangle, and you're listening to episode 307, recorded on... August 14, 2018, I'm your host. Today we're going to be covering Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All. We're going to be covering an execution in Tennessee gone horribly wrong. And we're going to be uh, talking about torture and the libertarian approach to torture. And we're also debuting Uncovered News. That's all coming up here on this episode of We Are Libertarian.
2: Warning, this show is for adults, produced by semi-adults. So the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said, Uh Welcome to We Are Libertarians, where our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective while treating modern politics with all of the irreverence it deserves. There has been lie after lie. We toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, a 15-year veteran of politics and media, Chris Spangle.
0: Welcome to the show, everybody. Again, my name is Chris Spangle, and I'm uh, joined here by my co-host for this episode, Harry Price. Harry, how are you? Going good, going good. You haven't heard the new intro yet, have no, you? No, no, this is the first time hearing it. Did you yeah. listen to it in the, so you haven't heard it at all?
3: No, no, it's my first time. What yeah. do you think? I, I like it. I really do. This is nice. It's a little bit, you know, a little bit, I, It's gives that rock, metal-ish thing that I really like from like the LR and FM, the, uh, the Free Talk Live bumpers. so I really like this. Yeah, no, uh, very good stuff from a company called
0: Ben's Town. Okay. And I met them a podcast movement. Great stuff. Uh, the chat is already the uh, I like that the No Agenda show calls their room the troll room, the chat. Yeah. We ought to we got to just steal that. You just just steal, steal it. They you won't know. mind. M- my p. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, Paul Copeland, if you're a Patreon member, you get to chat with us live during the show, and he pointed out, in the intro, you said the libertarian approach to torture, <laughs> which is what we call We Are Libertarians. <laughs> Put this on for an hour and a half, and uh, you get tortured, uh, either by me or by the topics we're covering, and boy, do we have some for you tonight. Got a great show for you. This is a little bit of a, of a relaunch for the program. It's going to be the first it's not going to be a whole lot different, but it's going to be structured a little bit different, uh, and that simply is because I am now cutting up the episodes and posting the individual segments up as video on YouTube, Twitch, Vimeo, uh, Facebook, and uh, maybe even Steam. It I may look into that tomorrow, and and so we're we're trying to put our content in as many places as possible, make it as easy for you to share as humanly possible. Uh, When you go to the website now and you click on an episode, you get some of the most voluminous show notes you'll find of any program out there, a ton of resources. I think for every one of the stories, the three segments we're doing tonight, we've got 15 to 20 articles linked uh, that just kind of shows you my research that went into the episode, and so you can go and and learn a little bit more for yourself, Uh, and... I've got everything timestamped now too. I've, I got a really cool podcast plugin called Simple Podcast Press, which allows you to just bookmark the time, mm-hmm. to timestamp it so people can click right to it. Um, so I'm just trying to make things easy. I've, I've really I spent a lot of time, Harry, this week on the website. I don't know if you've been to the website. You might go check it out if you haven't.
3: I did after uh, Nice read inside the Discord channel about fixing some things.
0: Yeah, he. Uh, I had spent all this time going through it, and he just was like, "This is stupid. This is stupid. This is stupid." And I was like, "You know what? As much time as I put into this the last week, you're right. I should redo this in a different way." And I, I, did. I took his advice to heart. I'm just trying to make it easy for people to connect with what we do. So you know, we've got all the podcasts that we do in the network. They're linked up there. We've got. The radio. We have a radio station. I don't know if people even know that. We've got two mobile apps in the iOS and the Android store. There's now a support page. Big red button that says support. Go to it. You can find all the ways that you can support We Are Libertarians, along with patrons and the new Wall Patrons logo. The Liberty and Chill is finally up on the website, uh, so we're going to start putting up those chapters. Paul Copeland is helping us out with that, and so we're going to start rolling out some of those Liberty and Chill chapters, which we'll talk about uh, later, we've got all the different ways. We've got a gaming and a talk twitch, so we have all kinds of ways for you to connect to the show. The thing I'm one of the things I'm most excited about that you'll hear later at the end of this show is something called undercovered news. Mm-hmm. And there's a little link on there that if you go up and you click it, it'll take you to a page with a form. Bookmark that form, bookmark that page, and every time you see a, a story or a topic that you think we should cover then please hit that link. Send that news article to me. It goes right to my inbox. Um, you know, there the, the purpose of we're, we're going to do what we've always done, which is two or three topics a show. Sometimes we do a deep dive single topic episode. Uh, we're going to still continue to do that stuff, but we're going to add on a segment at the end called Undercovered News. And, you know, there's just so much happening, and uh, I didn't want to just do kind of a boring headline segment. I mean, it is a headline segment, but uh, it is covering, in a short amount of time, several different stories. But what I want to focus on are things that aren't often covered by the news. Today, we're going to talk about uh, the Yemeni school bus. I don't know if you've even heard this, but uh, Saudi Arabia blew up a school bus with 50 children on it with American bombs. Uh, so we'll talk about that later in the show and it's stories like that that you don't often hear about in the news because they're so obsessed with trump and the kardashians so -hmm. we're going to introduce that segment but yeah lots of updates to the website please go and check it out libertarianpodcast.com that's up there and at the bottom contact information you can leave a voicemail for us Uh, we're going to start doing letter segments and hearing from you on a more consistent basis so you can leave us a voicemail; we'll play those on the show, or write us a letter at editor at wearelibertarians.com. com. And uh, this soon to be beefed up path to libertarianism that uh, you go in it, up at the top. It says "new to libertarianism?" question mark And it's something that I put together years ago on the basics of libertarianism, and uh, we're going to start pumping that site full of more research, more resources, and. So I really want to hear from you what you want to hear about, what you want to learn, what you want to talk about. We're still going to talk about what I want to talk about because it's my show. Naturally. And, and Harry Harry can attest to this. We talk about what
3: interests me. Mostly, yes. <laughs> right. Yeah, all the time. Right. So Even after the show.
0: Right. <clears throat> That's not true. <laughs> you are a chatty motherfucker and don't even <laughs> deny that you are. Uh so Harry, you you were telling me one of these things that you were telling me before the show. You were going to save it for the show. So I'm I'm interested to hear what you've got going on. What what are you
3: saying? Uh, oh yeah. So I regret to inform dear leader that um in September I'm going to have to take another week off. <sighs> my uh, company is sending me out to um, California. Um, so be my first time out in California. It's know, but- which part? Uh, Fremont. What city is that? Country? I have no idea. Okay, maybe, maybe Google I that. think it's NorCal ish yeah. or SoCal. Maybe it's SoCal. Uh-huh. No, I think it's like that Oakland Bay area place. Okay. But, anyways, so yeah. yeah, I'm going up there to fix the IT and the um, office that we have out there. Right. Because to them it's cheaper the, the to the We
0: Are Libertarians office that we have in California. But oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. neither of us know where it's at. But we have so much podcast money on Patreon now that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we're just starting
3: offices all over the country. Yeah, we got an office there, so it's <laughs> gonna go there and set that up. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. Which should be fun there um because it's apparently the office is just full of non technical people. It's all the payroll people. So it's Ew. kind of just Gross. It's just, it's all messed up. I Like, I was messing with the network there the other day, and like I said, it's cheaper for them to fly me out there and fix it for a week, and then for them to hire someone out there to right. try to fix it, which I can understand. It's freaking California.
0: Well, it's so, okay. Uh, it, sorry. I just, when you take time off, two things happen. One, I get nervous that you're going to quit. Mm-hmm. mm mm-hmm. And two, the audience gets nervous that I fired you. <laughs>
3: nope no nope, no nope, nope. I'm, I'm, I'm sticking in it I'm here you know not like the other uh podcast out there that leaves after having a kid I'm not doing that I'm staying in it man who is that directed at off oh, <laughs> where is that shade throwing that <laughs> really shade it's more like just a rub like the two uh um and also congratulations to not gay Jared who he's now became a you know he's, he now he's a dad. he's having his first kid right and he has left a uh, he, he stepped back down from producer, like, like on being on-air talent for off the Louder with Crowder show. Ah, so, gotcha. Yeah, that happened last Friday, which, or Thursday. Seems so like well. a dumb move to leave your job right after you have a kid, right? Well, we leave on-air talent and went to something like, because, like, they also do daily shows, so they're doing 12-hour uh, days. It'd be yeah. the same way if Wall was daily, and you wanted to, you know, you wanted to do daily shows, and I was on every day. <laughs> I already so do 12-hour days. So I like- do have to do 12-hour days <laughs> to stay on, but, but I don't. I have to do one day. Of this, and then like low key wall and liberty and chill. Right. So,
0: all right, let's jump into it. Let's get started. We've got a, a packed show, lots of great information for you, lots of things that are going to make you crazy, but especially this first article. Bernie Sanders has uh, been pushing his Medicare for All plan again. This is something that he introduced in September of 2017. And the bill, which currently has 16 Democrats uh, co sponsoring, would expand Medicare into. A universal health program phased in over the course of four years, and Sanders claims that a family making fifty thousand dollars currently pays sixty two hundred dollars a month in health insurance. Um, no, mm-hmm. Yeah, pays no. I'm sorry, sixty two hundred dollars a year under his plan for health costs. Under, him, under his plan, they'd pay four hundred and sixty six. Now that does, <laughs> you're going to hear that that sounds great, you're going to reduce your cost by five thousand bucks. But
3: yeah, that sounds great.
0: It's going to cost a whole lot more money. Oh no! Uh, yes, but it will offer comprehensive uh, coverage. This is from Bernie's plan. It will cover the entire continuum of healthcare from from inpatient to outpatient care, preventative <laughs> to emergency care, primary care to specialty care, including long term and palliative care, which means death. Uh, vision and hearing and oral health care, mental health and substance abuse services, as well as prescription medications, medical equipment, supplies, diagnostics, and treatments. Patients will be able to choose a health care provider without worrying about the care they need and without having to read any fine print or trying to figure out how they can afford the out-of-pocket costs. So, Harry, uh, as a consumer, when you hear you are no longer responsible for, uh, excuse me, uh, that you're no longer responsible for reading any fine print or figuring out any costs. What do
3: you hear? I hear, as a consumer, like, I don't have to worry about it. All I have to do is get up and go to work and know that my health care is taken over. And, and, and it's just done for me. <laughs> so this way, when I binge on um, booze on Saturday nights, I can call that ambulance to pump <laughs> me full IV so I don't get a hangover the next day. Sounds right. great.
0: Yeah, no. I hear you had no longer have any responsibility, and so you're going to act like a fool, which is what you just said. Yeah. But also, because you have no responsibility, somebody else will be taking care of things, mm-hmm. and we all know how that's going to turn out. We'll explain in just a moment. Uh, Bernie's ha- plan will cost over six trillion less than the current healthcare system over the next ten years. He claims he uh, he he. Says, uh, here we go. The United States currently spends three trillion on healthcare each year, nearly ten thousand per person. So basically, he's taking the total cost of the healthcare industry and, and uh, dividing that, finding ten thousand dollars per person. Uh, the typical middle class family would save over five thousand dollars under Bernie's plan. He claims uh, last year the average working family play paid four thousand nine hundred and fifty five dollars in premiums and uh, roughly thirteen hundred dollars in deductibles. To private health insurance companies, under this plan, a family of four earning fifty thousand would pay just four hundred and sixty-six dollars per year to the single payer program, amounting to a savings of over fifty-eight hundred dollars for the family each year. Businesses would save over ninety-four hundred dollars a year in health care costs. Sounds great, doesn't it? Like yeah. as a business owner, you're going to mm-hmm. save almost ten grand a year. That's yeah, great. That's awesome. The average annual cost to the employer for a worker with a family who makes just $50,000 a year would go from 12000 to just $3,000. Uh, this plan has been estimated to cost $1.3 trillion per year. Um, so here's how Bernie's going to pay for it. Okay. Hold on to your wallet. Right. Um, now, they don't call them taxes. Got it. The word tax is nowhere in his plan. Good. Good. You Good because go, taxation can go, is theft. That's right. You they're they're called premiums.
3: Okay, okay?
0: you're paying a premium. Don't you love to pay? Pre- you buy premium water.
3: Yeah, I buy premium water, premium gasoline. Right.
0: You know, premium health care, premium
3: wood. You know.
0: Right. Uh, six point. So here's how he's going to pay for it. Uh, six point two. And there's also one part of how he will pay for it that was not in his plan. Mm-hmm. That the that the Mercatus Institute uh, figured out. A six point two percent income based health care premium paid by employers. Revenue six hundred and thirty billion dollars per year. So there will be basically there will be roughly six hundred and thirty billion dollars in new taxes on businesses. I thought you said
3: didn't say taxes. It says premium. Oh okay, okay, right. good.
0: Um, a two point two <laughs> percent income based premium paid by households. Revenue Two hundred and ten billion per year. So he's going to take another two hundred and ten billion from us taxpayers. Uh, new tax rates. So all the tax relief that we just got that has spurned growth in the economy. Here are the new tax rates, raising another hundred and ten billion a year. Thirty-seven percent on uh, those who make between two hundred and fifty and five hundred thousand of forty-three percent income. Uh, on the 500 to 2 million range, 48% income on 2 million to 10 million, 52% on income above 10 million. Uh, and again, that those those new increased tax rates will now raise 210 or 110 billion dollars a year. He's going to tax capital gains and he floated the old Warren Buffett makes m- less th- you know uh, I I pay less in taxes than taxes of my secretary and that that gets floated out. Mm-hmm. That old gem. Uh, he's going to tax capital gains and dividends the same as income from work, $92, 92 billion increase in taxes there. Limit tax deductions for rich, the rich, Raise revenue raised $15 billion per year. The responsible estate tax. I don't know what that means, but it's an estate tax that's responsible. Mm. And when Bernie Sanders thinks that a tax is responsible... Hide your anus, because it's coming in hard. I, yeah. It's coming in dry. <laughs> uh, revenue raised $310 billion per year by deleting current tax breaks. So why are we talking about this now? Um, f- uh, well, first, the Mercatus Center, uh, and I'll read this straight from a uh, Washington Post article, because the fact-checking on old Bernie has mm. been aggressive, uh, because he basically is flat-out lying again. On July 30th, the Mercatus Center at George Mason University released a working paper on the 10-year fiscal impact of the Medicare for All plan sponsored by Bernie Sanders, which would transition everyone in the U.S. from a mostly employer-provided health care system to Medicare over four years. This report was written by Charles Blauhaus, a former economic advisor to George W. Bush and a public trustee for Social Security and Medicare from 2010 through 2015. Um, so here's a guy involved in entitlements uh, during the Obama years, uh, during the healthcare care debate specifically. Uh, and also uh, Alexandra ocasio cortez keeps bringing it up and mentioning it on August you know on August 8th with Chris Cuomo and CNN mentioned th- this this same line that Bernie Sanders, uh is spouting and let me play you this this is from the young turks and they also play a video so when this was released on june 30th by the Mercatus center bernie sanders posted a video basically saying the following
4: a coke-backed organization commissioned a study to try to prove that a medicare for all system here in the united states a proposal that bernie sanders has championed would be a complete and utter disaster when it comes to our economy and that it would just simply cost too much the only problem is The findings of the study actually indicate that the United States would save a lot more money if we had a Medicare for all system. Uh, In fact, uh, we would save about $2 trillion over 10 years if we shifted from the current system we have now to a Medicare for all system. So uh, Bernie Sanders responded to this. And before I get into all the numbers and the specifics of the study, this will give you an idea of how complimentary this is toward Bernie's proposal. Take a look.
1: Let me thank the Koch brothers of all people for sponsoring a study that shows that Medicare for All would save the American people $2 trillion over a 10-year period. A Medicare for All healthcare system would save the average family significant sums of money. It will do that by substantially reducing the administrative costs now taking place as a result of the billing, bureaucracy, and insatiable greed within the insurance industry. Here is the bottom line. If every major country on Earth can guarantee health care to all and achieve better health care outcomes while spending substantially less per capita than we do, please do not tell me that the United States of America cannot do the same.
0: All right, so Bernie's full of crap, and here, let me explain (laughs) why. (laughs) Uh, For those wondering about the Koch connection, the Koch brothers, who have donated millions of dollars to George Mason University and uh, the the Mercatus Center, which is a libertarian-leaning think tank, and Charles Koch sits on the center's board of directors, Blauhaus told FactCheck.org that his work is not influenced by any donors to the Mercatus Center. Um, So, (laughs) you know... What Bernie's saying sounds great,
3: doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. say trillions of dollars over ten years, and I'm gonna get better health care. Right. It's gonna be better, just like everyone else's. Wait a minute. Yeah.
4: <laughs> now,
0: I read the study. I read the Mercatus Center report last night. Went through it. Uh, highlighted a bunch of of very interesting things. And you know, if if you're really interested, after we kind of go through some of the highlights here, uh, we we can talk about what they found in in more of the details. But, um. A lot of it is just in the abstract. So let me read the abstract of the report by uh, the Mercatus Center to you. The leading current bill to establish single, single-payer health insurance, the Medicare for All Act, would, under conservative estimates, increase federal budget commitments by approximately $32.6 trillion during its first 10 full years of implementation, assuming enactment in 2018. This projected increase in federal health care commitments would equal approximately 10.7% of GDP in 2022, rising to nearly 12.7% of federal GDP in 2031, and further thereafter. Doubling all currently projected federal individual and corporate income tax collections, doubling all the taxes we take in now, would be insufficient to finance the added federal cost of the plan. (laughs)
3: <laughs> I thought we were going to save money. Right.
0: Uh, it is likely that the actual cost of Medicare for All would be substantially greater than these estimates, which assume significant administrative and drug cost savings under the plan and also assume that health care providers operating under Medicare for All will be reimbursed at rates more than 40% lower than those currently paid by private health insurance. Uh, so... The part that he left out in his plan that it, that is in the law is that he's going to treat all health care providers, doctors, mm-hmm. physicians, anybody involved in the medical industry, as Medicare recipients, where they will be paid 40% less than what they're paid by private insurance. <laughs> so listen, I'm not an economist, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. but I do have a libertarian podcast. so uh, Close enough. Right. So we're going to greatly expand access for all. Mm-hmm. We're going to increase uh, roughly, the, the study says, 11% increase in demand mm-hmm. because the people who don't have, uh, it's free health care, yes. Harry. Uh, you're going to get free vision, free dental, free counseling, free whatever you want. Any Anything involving m- medical will be covered under this. And we're going to pay everybody who's providing those services 40% less than mm-hmm. they make now. Correct. How do you think that works out?
3: Um, Personally? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, I really see, especially like, you know, because I I started thinking like, what if someone told me that I had to make my exact same job, but more, but do it faster? do right. more of it, supply, support right. more people, but I'm going to get a 40% decrease. And
0: you're going to work for federally uh, governed bureaucrats.
3: Do I get to be on the federal retirement plan? Of course. No, you don't. Oh. The, the workers <laughs> do. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> no. No, I'm retiring or I'm going to go do something else, so I'm going to...
0: So, So really where Bernie gets the be... numbers that this saves money was that he read to page two. <laughs> But he didn't read the other 22 pages of this thing. Uh because what what the guy did is he basically went through Bernie's numbers and ran Bernie's numbers and found there'd be a 2 trillion dollars uh, like yeah. it would be not even a 2 trillion dollar. It it comes in about 10 billion dollars less.
3: Yeah, it's like one one point nine.
0: Right, it, it goes from three point eight five nine under our current situation to under Bernie's three point eight four nine. Ooh, and so that's where they get the that's where they get the assumption that this is the the Koch brothers saying that their plan would uh, save money, but the reality, as the paper goes on to lay out, is that Bernie's numbers are very hopeful. You mm-hmm. know they talk about the increased demand and utilization. As I said, an, an 11% increase. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are no copays, so people have no skin in the game. There's no additional revenue coming in to to any of these providers. So there's no instant money. It's all Medicare reimbursements. Um, so you know, for instance, there's no vision. Uh, is Co-pay. It, uh, yeah, there's no vision currently. So I get like, like seven pairs of glasses. Right. Uh, so provider payment reductions uh, they say to offset the substantial cost increases created by stimulating additional consumer demand and utilization of health care basically more people using it uh, the bill would constrain expenditures by subjecting health care providers including hospitals physicians and others to medicare payment rates in 2014 medicare hospital payment rates were 62 percent of private insurance rates Medicare physician payment rates were 75% of private insurance rates in 2016 per the terms of a couple of acts, and they're projected to decline sharply in relative terms in future years, falling below 60%. So doctors who have a tremendous amount of school debt and have put in a tremendous amount of hours to get where they are are going to see a 40% reduction in their pay, and they're going to have to wait for Medicare to reimburse them on a level that is no longer just servicing elderly people over 65, it's now the entire nation of 340 million
3: people. Which a lot of those people who do that, they're debt up to their eyeballs. Everything is leveraged. Everything is mortgaged to cash flow because of how they do their payments anyways. Right. Oh, man, like the doctor bubble.
0: (laughs) For example, in 2014, Mm. hospitals were reimbursed just 89% of their costs of treating Medicare patients and 90% of their cost treating Medicaid patients. Losses that were offset by hospitals collecting private insurance reimbursement rates equaling 144% of their oh. costs. So yeah, I think the way that they get that number, the 144%, is that you know uh, it's not on the books in December, so it's paid in February, and then that goes into that year. But right, yeah. Um, it's a fiscal year thing. But the 89%. So. 10, 11% of the time, Medicare and 10% of the time, Medicaid, just don't pay their bills.
3: Correct. They don't. They take forever. Right. Yeah. So you're just expected to work for free. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's why a lot of doctors, some of like the smaller practices, they just don't take it. They're like either take private insurance or they let you pay in cash. Right. You know? Um, it's... Which is, like, fun- funny is because, like, you can almost use, like, Medicaid to, like, to get, like, forced in, like, different part of the line. Like, it's so much easier for me to get Gunther coverage using, like, a, just my regular insurance, even though it costs me more, even though. Right. But she technically has a Medicaid card because she qualifies her for being a, just uh, being in the NICU. Just right. because she was born, the, like, gave me a Medicaid card. I was like, but I've got insurance for her. Right. But she qualifies so her. Yeah. You know, Which they love, but they'd rather take both... Co- like, so they take the... Which is funny when... So every time I do anything with Gunther, they do everything on, like, my Anthem um, card. Right. And then all the leftovers, they let... They just send it over to the Medicaid because whatever, that'll pay off the... Re- you know, whenever that pays off. Right. We've got their... Anthem least paid, you know? Right. And we'll just wait for the, for the, you know, right. the Medicaid money. Which... It was... It, okay, so... <laughs> We've gone through. It's like this it like, to me. Like, single we've gone through this gigantic song and dance before. Like every time anyone on the left really started doing the whole like medical thing, like, and the whole, when they were talking about this, going after administrative fees and doing stuff like this. It's but a lot of the bureaucracy that they're talking about saving off. Didn't they add on with Obamacare? It yeah. wasn't as all that they added on to, and they talked about how this was going to raise fees up. The main yeah. reason that everyone pays so freaking much for medic, uh, for health insurance right now is be- is because of an effect of, of Obamacare, and the, some of the unintended consequences that we learned from Obamacare, because they either raise stuff up, push doctors out of different systems, right, or that people just found different ways to like abandon the system all you know altogether. So what did they think this was going to do?
0: Oh, he's got a solution for that. okay. Which we'll get to here. cages? The cages? It's cages? <laughs> um, so the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, Office of the Actuary, um, has projected that even upholding current law reimbursement rates for treating Medicare beneficiaries alone would cause nearly half of all hospitals to have negative total facility margins by 2024, The same study found that by 2019, over 80% of hospitals will lose money treating Medicare patients, a situation Medicare for All would extend to a first approximation to all U.S. patients. Perhaps some facilities and physicians would uh, be able to generate heretofore unachieved cost savings that would enable their continued functioning without significant disruptions. Cost savings in Medicare. Cost savings in the medical field. That's what you want to hear. However, at least some undoubtedly would not, oh. thereby reducing the supply of health care services. At the same time, the M4A sharply increases healthcare care demand. Uh, it, is, it is precisely impossible to say how much of the confluence of these factors would reduce the individual's timely access to healthcare care services. But some access problems certainly must arise. They're writing in think tank speech. It's going to be a nightmare. Yeah. So when you've got an, a decrease in the amount of doctors, hospitals are losing money. They're not upgrading their facilities. They're not upgrading their equipment. They can't afford certain services anymore. And you've got an increase in the people of using it. Wait times are going to go up. More accidents are going to happen because more people will be overworked. Mm-hmm. It's a recipe for an absolute catastrophe.
3: 'cause the last thing nurses need to be paid less. right. You know, that's the last thing that I want to tell a nurse is, "Hey, we're
0: going to pay you less. Can you work 14?" Well, they'll figure out some crazy new licensure that will allow doctors to not be physicians, you know, that it's I don't know what a nurse practitioner is, but they're I've been told they're like they're like doctors, but mm-hmm. they can't do certain things that doctors can do. There'll just be more of those morphing and the whole licensing system will eventually 50 years down the line be a complete joke. If the country is even still in existence by then,
3: turns with the, oh man, going to turn Eskenazi into the death camp because there's not enough people. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Oh man, that's, woof. Bernie's going to fix it's, drugs. Go the, ahead. And the other thing with it is like the cascading effect, right? Right. Of the whole thing of, because if a doctor's making 40% less, that means they're not buying the Maserati, the Porsches and stuff like that, the, the luxury cars. Right. They're buying Toyota Camrys. Right. So of all the mechanics that went through all this schooling to work on Mercedes, BMW, and all these high, high-end luxury cars—they well, are a lot of work. Right. But they're so what they're going to do is output the Toyota the mechanics because sorry, they've been working on high-end vehicles and high-tuning cars for like years. They're they went through more schooling than you did to work in your Toyota Camry. Right. Sorry, they're, they're going to you know unless you're ASE certified, they to knock them out. So they just got to this hat, massive cascading effect as. Everyone gets slid down that 40% rabbit hole down. Yeah.
0: Well, when you massively increase taxes, and then you also increase, on top of that, another $20, $30 bit trillion, dollars, there's not a lot of margins left for
3: people already. Then You take that down, and then since the <laughs> baby boomers are getting out of the system, right? You can't
0: even double the current rates that they're t- taking in taxes <laughs> like to pay for this
3: thing. So you get the millennials and the Gen Xers, so they make them make less. Which they've already paid less into Social Security anyways, making the pyramid scheme topple faster. Right. So to make the system crumble faster. Actually, I'm down for this plan. Just break the system down. <laughs> so Bernie's going to fix drugs. He's also going to uh, fix the drug system. Pri- price fixing or actually fix it? Uh. That's a good question.
0: Um, <laughs> generics have—he's uh, going to oh, no. pr- promote the use of generic medications to the greatest extent possible. Generics have prices seventy to ninety percent lower than those of name brand drugs, but they already hit make up roughly eighty five percent of all prescription drugs sold. So, Harry, what happens when uh, when Eli Lilly, which is you know a huge yeah, company here in Indianapolis, yep. um, what happens when they no longer can even really sell? It's not, not illegal to sell them, but there is no marketplace because the government has now regulated that they make them generic. What happens to Lilly's ability to innovate?
3: They, they can't. They can't afford the R&D. They can't afford to go through the whole approval process yeah all that research that they just can't do here inside the United States, which is like the you know lead driver of the entire world. This is where right. drugs get innovated that's why roche Roche and Eli are both here in the bio midwest, yeah to get this stuff done as cheap as possible. That's why they're here in the midwest not on the coast. This yep. way, they got cheap land to, to put half. you know. They like can pay these people, you know, to market rate, but you know they're also making you know lots of that money, but they're making it here in Indy, so right. the cost of living is here, so they're helping all these people out. And without that, that's you know, no, no, they're they're bringing those drugs down as cheap as they can possibly can, and they're not really making them generic. You're basically making a name brand, but you're forcing it to a price as someone else. But the generic companies, the reason they reasonably get that price because they're just taking the formula. And then break into the. Um, they take taken a formula that's already been made, right? And, th- and that's all they do. They're not doing a. They're, they're not doing the R and D, the, the years of R and D, and to try to get to, to make something, right? And uh, the advertisement they talk about through that thing, they're advertising it to companies to pick up to think that hey, you need to do this. That we got the new study. Please put our drug in your study. Look what it does. That's the advertising they're talking about,
4: right?
0: So the analysis, uh, think about your belief and trust in government programs. Don't spit your drink out when I say this. This analysis assumes virtually perfect success for M4A in replacing brand-name drugs with generics. So they uh, the, then we go on to the administrative savings. The analysis assumes substantial administrative cost savings generated by replacing private insurance with national single-payer insurance, specifically a reduction of 7 percentage points, uh, in the administrative cost of covering these, of those now holding private insurance. So Bernie is assuming that creating a bureaucracy that manages all of healthcare will decrease the administration by 7%.
3: So to decrease the administration, we're going to increase the amount of
0: administration. Have you ever seen a bureaucracy
3: shrink? no no i haven't i've seen people i've seen uh, school systems get rid of teachers but not administrators
4: right
0: uh and he goes on to note that basically you have to be perfect to hit this mark and nothing probably will happen um
3: we'll ever spend enough
0: one striking finding is, is evident in the table uh, that begins the study that Bernie seized on. Even under the assumption that provider payments for treating patients now covered by private insurance are reduced by over 40%, aggregate health expenditures remain virtually unchanged. National personal health care costs decrease by less than 2%, while total health expenditures decrease by only 4%, even after assuming substantial administrative cost savings. The additional health care demand that arises from eliminating payments providing additional categories of benefits, and covering the currently uninsured nearly offsets potential savings associated with cutting provider payments and achieving lower drug costs. Thus, the essential expenditure change would wrought by movement to a single-payer system would be to replace private spending on healthcare government with spending financed by taxpayers. Now, what does that mean? That means that uh, they are assuming... That uh, everything, it, that, that there's not going to be much change in the amount of expenditures and usage. The, the Bernie plan, is it really is a Pollyanna view that once we give people health care, things aren't really going to change that much and we're going to save money. Like, if I were to sum up what Bernie thinks and says and the way that this is written, is that Bernie doesn't think that really much is going to change in the healthcare industry from a macro perspective, from a a monetary or usage perspective, but everything's going to get better. The healthcare will get better because the bureaucracy will be in charge (laughs) and the government will be paying for it. (laughs) It's it's very odd. Like every other program, it would be perfect. It'll work great. So, uh, so, so that's kind of the the nuts and bolts. Will the website at least not crash this time. <laughs> You've seen how well uh, Obamacare's <laughs> gone. Um, so Bernie keeps mentioning, and you'll see your Facebook friends, and Ocasia keeps mentioning uh, the two trillion dollars in savings that that the Koch brothers proved that there's two trillion dollars in savings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so factcheck.org. The Washington Post fact checker like there's a uh, there's a little piece of me that is just so excited that Bernie Sanders is the one getting fact checked by these people and being found mostly false. Right. Um, but the best one that I found uh, out of all these was bull
3: crap still by the way by the way what the whole like it's a half truth come on <laughs> right. Uh,
0: so well it, it's not that Bernie's lying it does show a savings in the outcome of the numbers but that's because the guy ran the numbers the way Bernie says that things would work out. And so he picked the numbers that would make his plan look like it works. This is what they always do when they're trying to roll one of these things out. They show savings, it won't cost that much, and then, you know, 30 years you look back and it cost four, 14 times yeah. what it's supposed to cost. So, uh, Sanders spokesman Josh Miller Lewis told us that Presenting only the additional government cost of Medicare for All, the scary $32 trillion. So, Sanders people are pushing back and saying they're only showing the total cost of $32 trillion. It leaves out the larger context. Of course, the government would spend more on health care under a Medicare for All system. But the idea is it would result in less spending on health care in the U.S. overall. You believe that?
3: No. No, not in a heartbeat.
0: You're you're offering up free services to people who have limited access, and you're taking all the barriers away, and costs are going to save. You're going to spend less.
3: Um, I just watched a bunch of guys in a warehouse, and we offered them free yoga pants, ladies' yoga pants, and the guys took them because they were free.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Miller Lewis referred to figures not highlighted in the report that show that between 2022 and 2031 the current projected cost of healthcare expenditures in the US of 59.4 trillion would dip to 57.6 trillion under the Medicare for All. Uh, that's how Sanders arrives at this claim that they're going to save 2 million. So basically all of the healthcare industry for this time period Is $2 trillion more than if Bernie's plan is enacted. And that's how they're saving the American people $2 trillion. Uh, Blauhaus, uh, the man who wrote the Mercatus study, responded to Fact Check. Um, He basically said that's bullcrap because of all the reasons, because it's not going. He didn't say bullcrap, but he was just saying uh, that wasn't how it was going to work to argue that we can get to that level of savings by getting rid of the health insurance middleman is inconsistent with my study to lend credibility to the to the true trillion dollar savings number specifically one would have to argue that we can make those 40% cuts to providers at the same time as increased demand by about 11% without triggering disruptions of access to care that lawmakers and public find acceptable so he's basically saying, it's unacceptable now. What makes you think it's going to get better when you do all this? Um, so, so I want to play you a quick video from Jim. Man, these Greeks, they get me every time. Uh, Jim Pathakoukis from AEI. In 60 Seconds, uh, the American Enterprise Institute, which is a conservative think tank, uh, has these, these cool little videos called In 60 Seconds, where they uh, go through and debunk some stuff. And this one is Medicare for All Doesn't Make Sense.
2: <laughs> Democrats rightly attack Republicans when they promise their math-defying tax cut plans will slash government revenue, but somehow not balloon deficits. Well, with tax cuts are to Republicans, single-payer health care seems to be for Democrats, a populist policy idea that's far more attractive in theory than practice. Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All plan is a perfect example. Recall that economists sharply criticized his presidential campaign's health care plan for severely underestimating the cost of the benefits it offered. It turned out the taxes needed to pay for burning care were twice as high as estimated. His plan would also phase out employer-provided health care, even though some 70% of workers in those plans say they're satisfied with the coverage. In other words, the Sanders plan fails to recognize either economic or political reality, similar to many Republican tax cut promises. The economy is doing pretty well right now, so now is hardly the time to gamble on ill-considered populist schemes from the left or right. How about this instead? stabilize Obamacare, reform the tax code to encourage more domestic investment, and do both in a bipartisan, fiscally responsible way.
0: All right. Now, lest you think that I am making any of this up, because you uh, listeners are very skeptical even of Dear Leader, here's the Washington Post fact-checking Bernie Sanders. The Washington Post. The, the uh... The, 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 Be- the Bezos, uh, Amazon, uh,
1: Washington Post. Let me thank the Koch brothers of all people for sponsoring a study that shows that Medicare for All would save the American people $2 trillion over a 10-year period.
5: Senator Bernie Sanders' plan generously assumes that doctors, hospitals, and drug companies would be paid 40% less than they are now, and that demand for health insurance would jump by 11%. Even if this did happen, the plan would still boost government spending by $32.6 trillion over its first 10 years. <laughs> Democrats are cherry-picking numbers that even the study's authors say are unlikely to materialize. They earn
6: three Pinocchios.
0: Three Pinocchios out of five for Senator Bernie Sanders. The, have you heard Harry? I'm
4: shocked, actually.
0: Like, when I sat down and actually did the research, because you, like, this is one of those things where you see people say, let talk about this on Facebook, and I haven't looked into the numbers, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, it's Bernie Sanders. I know it's going to be a nightmare. Right, yeah. But when you actually, like, break it down, you go, like, did he eat lead paint as a kid? <laughs> H- how is this not so clear how this <laughs> is going to work out? I don't get how people don't see what you and I see out of this plan.
3: They don't and they and they just parrot the whole like see look we're going to save money. and This is what's going to happen. We're going to save money. But yeah, but it's what I'm guessing is which I'm hope, hoping, not the lead paint thing, but that <laughs> an intern got the numbers, right? <laughs> All right, and said, "Boom, boom, here, do this video, we're going to pull this up. Boom. Right in their face. Take that, Paul Ryan! <laughs> right, open. There's. Really I hoping. just don't get it. Uh, one other thing that
0: you'll hear on Facebook all the time is, and this is like posted daily by leftists on on my wall. We need to join the rest of the industrialized world. We are the only major country on earth that doesn't guarantee health care to all people as, as a right. So when actually pressed on this, Bernie Sanders. Uh, you know, constantly makes this comment about, we're the only industrialized nation in the world that doesn't guarantee this right of health care. Uh, Sanders' office claims his standard for major nations. So basically somebody asked, like, okay, you say major nations or industrialized nations. What's your standard? And so that's a good question to ask your Facebook friends, like, what's your standard of an industrialized nation? Mm-hmm. You say this talking point, what do you mean? Right. And uh, Sanders' office claims that his standard for major nations is the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. It does not include Russia or China. Hmm. Would you consider Russia and China to be major industrialized nations?
3: Russia, yes. Okay. China, yeah. Yeah, I got, I'll give it to him. Um, you don't have to give it to him.
0: Uh, and I don't believe that they, Typically. one of those, I think China has health, uh, they, I, I would be surprised if the former communist states don't have health care, but the, the OECD does not include Russia or China. Uh, it does not include Mexico, which does not have universal health, it does include Mexico, I'm sorry, I wrote this wrong. It does include yeah. Mexico, which does not have universal health care. Now, Mexico has since, the writing of this article, changed their law mm-hmm to force people to buy health insurance similar to Obamacare, but they only have 87% compliance, I think it was. And the United States has like 89% yeah. compliance.
3: And that's a recent thing that they did, wasn't right. it? I want to say like the uh, last like three or four years yes. like that they did that.
0: So factcheck.org and uh, PolitiFact, and, and I put it in the show notes so when you're in a f- screeching fight on Facebook about this, you can go and fact check those arguments and you can go and grab those links, bookmark it, and then bam. Uh, and then when somebody tries to say, the Koch brothers funded a study mm-hmm. that proved that Bernie's – send them this episode. We're going to yeah. put this out. We're going to chunk it. We're going to put it on YouTube. We're going to put it on yeah. Facebook. Share share it with them and say, like, here's the facts. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the actual facts.
3: Yeah. Which that whole movie really did like hurt Mexico, like um, especially in the areas that aren't a lot of the bubbles, like a lot of the farming areas, poor areas that really hurt the 80% compliant that you keep talking about, those are mostly coming from like your touristy towns right. or their version of Silicon Valley in Guadalajara. Yep. So, so those are people that those are the only places that are in Mexico City. Those are probably the only compliant places. So, That's
0: why it. is this story relevant to you? It is because Bernie Sanders and the left in general, that line up behind this plan want to massively increase your taxes to force you to pay for something that isn't going to work. Right. Plain and simple.
3: That they've already did. They've did this. This is just... <laughs> <laughs> this is... Remember how... Obamacare one, part two.
0: Obamacare was going to save... It. I mean, it's like, yes. well, we have to pass... But that was always the Trojan horse, wasn't mm-hmm. it? It was always pass the thing that will break healthcare so we can get a single-payer system.
3: Right. Which the thing is, like, healthcare, like, was it broken? Yeah, but it was not as broken as it was, you know, right. a, two years ago. Sorry, two years ago, you know, it's it's. I think like all right, like my the premiums like from like projected before Trump, you know, <clears throat> was just outrageous. Right, I was looking at thinking of spending. I was like, oh man, I'm gonna have to spend like a thousand, maybe fifteen hundred dollars a month. Right, you know, you know, granted, I don't now. Thank goodness. <laughs> right. You know, But, you know, with, with this plan, who knows? Who knows? Who yeah. knows?
0: All right, Harry. Any final thoughts on this?
3: Um, this seems like the old same smoking and mirror price fix controls that the left tries to do. It's the same old tire tactics with a di- with different names, different wordings, not calling taxes. They're calling in them premiums and just nicking things out of the back door and, and progressively making everyone poor by 40%. Yeah. So don't. Yeah, yeah.
0: Don't let them sneak in the back door. Yeah. Nope. All right, that music. This is new. This is brand new. All right, but what that music means is that the previous segment has been brought to you by our Patreon subscribers. Long ago, opinion journalism only existed in newspapers and magazines, but the internet has given rise to new voices like We Are Libertarians, and few people are doing what we are doing We're giving you facts and information in an entertaining way, and we are ready to grow into the largest libertarian voice during the 2020 election. But we can only do it if you help us. And many great people are subscribers to our Patreon, which you can find at WeAreLibertarians.com. One of them is Scott Smith. I want to give a shout-out to Scott Smith. He gave me some great feedback on the show that I really uh, found to be helpful. And uh, he wrote in saying, I subscribed to the Patreon because Mr. Spangle seems like a reasonable guy to spread the word of liberty. I like that he doesn't engage in purity tests, and I like that he puts forth an effort to learn before the show. So that is why Scott donates. If you are a Patreon member, please send in a testimonial, and I'll read yours. Become a citizen at $5 a month and get a bonus content, CD-quality audio and a commercial-free show. Before anyone else, at $10... I got to keep the music going. At ten dollars, nobility gets access to an exclusive Facebook group and a notification to join the live stream and chat with us during the show. Members of the royal court at twenty five dollars get a poster and free shipping in the new in the new We Are Libertarian store, and you can also join the Emperor's Circle at one hundred dollars, and you get to sit in on our show. And uh, we're looking forward to you joining at WeAreLibertarians.com or Patreon.com slash WeAreLibertarians. Special thanks to Craig DeCosta, Brandon Luke, Jason Doolittle, Christy Avery, and now Paul Jonathan Eads Jr. for being $100 a month subscribers and members of the Emperor's Circle. And also welcome to Jake Middaw, Zach Spoonamore, Shira, and Jacob Norton for joining in the past week. We thank everybody that supports our Patreon because you are the one that makes this thing grow. All right, uh, segment two. Welcome back to We Are Libertarians, episode number three hundred seven. I'm Chris Spangle, and here with me is Harry Price. Harry, how are you? Going
3: good. Need more coffee now.
0: <laughs> and you need you need to pick it up. <laughs> if you, uh, yeah, you're gonna need it in this segment. If you haven't subscribed to our show, please do so now, and be sure to leave a rating and review while you're there. This segment is brought to you by our Patreon, which you can find at wearelibertarians.com. So in the news we just uh had uh, last week we talked about the death penalty. Uh, were you here for that episode when we talked about the death penalty? Mm-hmm. Okay. And we were talking about the the morality of it and uh, why it is uh why libertarians don't believe in the death penalty. And sadly we had an example of that take place in Tennessee when they executed Billy Ray Irk with drugs that inflicted torturous pain and it was a pretty I wouldn't say it was like a uh what was the movie the the green mile yeah Uh, it didn't it might have been a green mile situation maybe not as gruesome but uh definitely not not i i would say it was cruel
3: yeah but not that not green miles type but it was still cruel of what happened yeah
0: right uh so the independent writes uh in a story called tennessee executes child killer billy ray irk with drug that inflicts torturous pain Tennessee has carried out its first execution in nearly a decade using a controversial cocktail of drugs, including a lethal ingredient described by the Supreme Court as chemically burning at the stake. Billy Ray Irk, an inmate convicted of the 1985 rape and murder of seven-year-old Paula Dyer, received a three-drug injection Thursday night after the Supreme Court denied a final request to stay his execution. The lethal injection consisted of I should have looked at how to, how to uh, actually pronounce this. Uh, mid, midazolam. Yeah, midazolam. <laughs> That's how what we'll go with. Used as a sedative during an execution, a muscle relaxer called vericuronium bromide, and the compounded potassium chloride, the agent that stops the heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, Billy Ray was on death row for 32 years. Now, I want to ask a f- series of questions because... Okay. You know, we, we talked in sort of generic terms last week, but we have a specific case here. And so for those of you who are not totally sold on the death penalty being made illegal uh, and ended by our society, I want to ask you a series of questions. And th- those of you who are on the fence or even think like Harry and I do, it's always good to refresh what you think. Yeah, you got to water the Tree of Liberty from time to time.
3: Mm-hmm. Test it out.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so... here's one one question uh harry do you think someone that is mentally ill should they be executed no okay why do you say that
3: one i think it's barbaric that we think we can get justice from taking the life of another human being i think that idea is something that it's just more of the animalistic side of humanity, something that we uh, like a holdover from the you know, like basically I'm going to call it the Dark Ages, just like slavery, it was it just a holdover like a thing that us as you know, liberty-oriented people or just people in the quote-unquote Western society could just do away with. You don't get justice that way. And especially if someone's not even if someone's mentally ill they're not really understanding what's happening to them, right? So you're basically like the only way you could justify is like you could unperson someone, and put someone down, but then, no, even that that makes you seem like more of an animal than than the thing you're trying to put down, right?
0: So Billy Ray Irk, uh, so Nashville Scene is a website where their uh, author I, I wish I had written down his name, but he he had a bunch of reporting and even went to the execution. But the Nashville scene has covered this a lot, and they wrote an article called "Is Billy Ray Irk Fit for Execution," and kind of detailed his long history of mental illness. Um, he was six years old the first time someone qu- raised questions about his mental health. It was March 1965 when he was in first grade. His school's principal referred to him referred to him in 1965. S- someone referred him to the Knoxville, Tennessee Mental Health Center. <laughs> I'm guessing the South in 1965 wasn't solid on uh, mental health, and uh, it probably as the you'll country see, wasn't even exactly right. I mean, it was like 15, 20 years before when the Kennedys had one of the girls lobotomized for
3: God's sake. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, like they, you know, you probably could get someone you know put in a institution for just being gay in the 60s. Yeah.
0: Um, So his extreme behavioral problems and unmanageability in school were the result of emotional problems, and, and they weren't sure if Billy suffered from some form of organic brain damage. A clinical social worker at the center performed an assessment, noting that the young boy apparently mistreats animals and had for a couple of years been telling people outside of the home that his mother mistreats him, that she ties him up with a rope and beats him. Later, a psychologist at the center who suffered, uh, who interviewed Irk concluded that he was mostly likely suffering from a severe neurotic anxiety reaction with a possibility of mild organic brain damage. Uh, and he tended to fear his own impulses. Um, it's always scary when somebody's inside their own head and fears themselves. Yeah. Uh, so... Seven years after the evaluations, while 13, he was living at the Church of God Home for Children in Tennessee, a former orphanage that provided care for abused and emotionally disturbed children. His parents, who were mentally and emotionally st- uh, whose, whose own mental and emotional stability had been questioned, rarely visited him between the ages of 8 and 13. But in June 72, according to testimony included in court documents, the facility arranged for Irk to visit his parents at home. That visit did not go well. Uh, Billy used an axe to destroy the family television set, club flowers in the flower bed, and in a very disturbing incident used a razor to cut up the pajamas that his younger sister was wearing as she slept. The razor was later found in the sister's bed. Um, So in 86, the case of Ford Ford v. Wainwright in the Supreme Court ruled that executing an insane man, an uh, quote-unquote insane inmate, runs afoul of the Eighth Amendment prohibition against cruel and unusual punishment. How to determine whether a condemned inmate is insane, however, was left mostly open to question. Uh, Justice Powell opined that it would be unconstitutional to execute an inmate who is unaware of the punishment they are about to suffer and why they are to suffer it. And that is the standard that has been used in many lower courts. Two more psychologists reviewed the affidavits uh, later in his trial uh, for for the murder of a seven-year-old girl. Um, that he suffered, at the very least, from a disassociative disorder and probably was schizophrenic or intermittently psychotic. Uh, Thursday night, after the Supreme Court denied a final request to stay his execution, he was put to death. The, legal, the lethal injection—oh, uh, I think I've read this part— Uh, In a brief... uh, Sorry about that. In a brief filed in 2010, Irk's attorney argued that he was experiencing a psychotic episode with hallucinations or delusions and that he had no memory of his role in them. Um, So... But uh, the state Supreme Court affirmed the trial court judge's uh, assessment that Irk was competent to be executed. So, clearly to me... I, I mean, it sounds like he's somebody who had... Clear mental issues mm-hmm. from the beginning of his of his life, correct, and not just like docile, angry to the point that he was put somewhere else. Yeah. So that's. I mean,
3: it's. Yeah he yeah he seemed like he could cause harm to himself or others around him. Right. So
0: you have to ask yourself. I I, I mean, in general. I would say that anybody that takes a life has probably got something going on, right? Yeah, depending on how they take the life, but yes, yeah, right. Yeah. Self defense is different, but if you're if you're premeditated, or if you're killing a seven year old
3: girl, yeah, premeditated killing a seven year old girl right. or a crime of passion, you know these, these things. Yeah, know, there's different intricacies to it.
0: Yeah. So uh, the world uh, here's what you learn over 15 years of being around politics. It's not politics where like. You look at this and you go, he killed a seven-year-old girl. Put him to death. Mm-hmm. That's politics. The law, though, <laughs> the reason the law exists is because let's examine level, little every little... Inc- inc- help me.
3: <laughs> what? It, 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 integral?
0: It, yes. intrical little thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm struggling. Yeah. Um, you, you have to look at every little piece of this case. And examine: Is he a candidate for this punishment? Because the punishment is so severe, and so the devil is always in the details. Mm-hmm. And there's also the aspect of: Does he have enough money? <laughs> Go watch, you know, any true crime documentary on Netflix, like The mm-hmm. Staircase. Right. And even money won't won't help you if you're an innocent man.
3: Um, so I don't know. I don't know um, <laughs> convi- don't, okay. Convicted se- convicted sex offender Brock Turner is out.
0: OJ's OJ's free,
3: yeah. OJ's free.
0: He went to jail for stealing his own shit. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> not murdering two people. Yep. Um. And so, I, I the the definition of uh, is it? It's not so easy just to say to somebody like, "Are you for or against murdering someone who is mentally ill?" Because there's different shades of that. It has to be case by case. Um, but uh,
3: go ahead. Just disagree like m- murders are just off the table unless they're uh, violently attacking somebody.
0: But that's but that's sort of where I'm leading to is yeah. that because there's so much complexity and so many incotri- in- forget it I'm not even going to say the word. Um, <laughs> intricate little details intricate little details intricacies uh, I don't know why I cannot say this word tonight <laughs> um, <laughs> I've been working non-stop on work and wall projects for like a month straight Mm-hmm. And I, my voice is tired, you can hear, I'm just, I'm beat. Um, so, <laughs> when you've got so many different variables, the worst thing that could possibly happen is taking an innocent man's life. Mm-hmm. And especially right. in our name. Right. So, just take it off the table, especially when, as we discussed last week, it's more expensive. Mm-hmm. It's it's more harmful to the taxpayers. Right. And it's more harmful to the people carrying out the execution. Yeah. So there's just no there's no real reason to keep it other than the mob wants it. We've just always done it this way. Right. In my mind. This is
3: the way it was done. We've always had slaves. Right. You know, this is what we've do, you know. That yeah, that's why I call it like just you know, it's a you know, it's it's okay. It's 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 part of our barbaric past. We used to believe this would a great punishment for people, or like it's supposed to stop people from committing crimes. Right? It doesn't. We 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 can do tests. We can figure it out. You know, no, no. The death penalty is not a deterrent to crimes. Right. So it is not a, a great punishment. Right. Neither is you know filing humans away and things. But you know, like let's first just stop killing people. Right. You know, can we do that? You know, especially considering like the uh, because of the the lot of cases. Uh, not, I don't know about this one, but like a lot of them are very intricate that there's could be something that is missed and you could end up killing an innocent person. Yeah.
0: Which we've seen 130 exonerations since 1973 in the United
4: States.
3: Yeah, and a lot of people like point out like, well, we've never executed someone that's innocent. Like, yeah, because there's the because a lot of them are like, well, the appeal process is so long. If the appeal process was faster or like if they could just like nope you're getting put to death in that month no that number would be higher
0: well dna started popping up in the 70s so that's why there's been 130 exonerations um so how did he actually die uh and i think the question here for folks is what's your limit of cruel and unusual punishment let's take the legal standard of what the constitution says that, that that we outlaw cruel and unusual punishment where where do you draw the line at cruel and unusual you know is it the firing squad and the electric chair no longer um it's cruel they're, they're cruel they've been considered cruel mm-hmm. so we don't do them anymore um and lethal injection has always been seen i think in a mimetic sense amongst the populace that it's not cruel it just puts you to sleep and you're asleep
3: because we put someone to sleep and then we start their heart medically
0: Right, so here's how he died, and this is, from what I've researched, not an uncommon way for someone who dies of lethal injection to, uh, to go out. Uh, again, from the Nashville scene, uh, a narrative article called The Execution of Billy Eric." Soon, Eric's eyes closed, and he began to snore. Around seven minutes later, he came to consciousness, uh, came the consciousness check. Billy, Billy. According to the theory of this constantly litigated process, this check of consciousness is in place for prison officials to make sure that the condemned inmate is unconscious and supposedly spared the torture that would otherwise come next. But around two minutes later, Eric did appear to react physically to the second drug. He jolted and produced what sounded like a cough or a choking noise. He moved his head slightly and appeared to briefly strain his forearms, against the restraints. In a statement following the execution, federal public defender Kelly Henry said those were the signs of the kind of trouble warned about in a lawsuit filed by more than 30 death row prisoners including Eric. This means that the second and third drugs were administered even though Mr. Eric was not unconscious, she wrote. The state's descriptions also raised troubling questions about the state's attempt to mask the signs of consciousness, including by taping down his hands, which would have prevented the witnesses from observing the failure of the midazolam. Around 7.37 p.m., the color in Eric's face changed to almost purple. After that, we watched for nearly 10 minutes as he lay there. He did not appear to be breathing any longer. I saw Tennessee's death penalty in practice last night and watched as state officials killed a man in my name and in yours. They strapped him to a gurney and injected him with drugs, and we have every reason to believe uh, that they caused unimaginable pain. There appeared to be signs that he did feel something, but only briefly. Once the second drug, a paralytic, took effect, he was unable to move regardless. Did the state of Tennessee torture a man to death for Thursday night? I was in the room, and I suppose I couldn't say for sure. Uh, And as Hody Johns, on Sundays we're now putting all the topics in the Facebook group, uh, and you can comment with uh, stories and links, so join the Facebook group at com. And as Hody points out, you covered the death penalty in 305. You spoke to the element of trust in the government carrying out such a procedure. This now seems to also cast doubt on the government's ability to execute such a procedure. And I think that's totally true, like... Mm-hmm. we don 't believe the government can do anything right, right. so we 're now trusting some d o c employees to administer three stages of death drugs
4: correctly correct yeah
0: the The other thing that is taking place is that states uh are having their drugs expire, and when they go to buy new ones, the companies are not selling them mm-hmm. anymore Someone put that in the thread as well. I wish I could remember who who put that up I, I apologize. And so Yeah, I read that. I can't remember who posted that. So Kansas just killed some of the fentanyl. Yeah. They literally put someone to death in the way that people are dying on drug overdoses now. Mm -hmm. It's not even the three-stage process. They're just overdosing them on opioids and killing them.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is like, that was a crazy story to talk, uh, especially with the drug manufacturer that does it. It's like, no, 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 we want to know who sold it to you because we wouldn't have sold it to you. Right. We don't want our name or our drug anywhere near this thing. Right. You know, because... One because one of the opioid crisis, right? That's already a right. bad, you know, term. No one wants to use your drug. Do they design this thing as you know, like as a painkiller or stuff like that? You know, this is what they want it to be used, not for the other uses that people have found for this thing. Go ahead. And it's uh, yeah, The like the, the going there is just like really creeped me out because I've um, you know I don't suffer from sleep paralysis, but I've had episodes of that mm-hmm. where you're up you really can't move and all that and that fear of up can't move and that pain and understand that you can almost feel yourself dying right that's and you can't do anything about it granted you know like it's like well there's killers so he did to someone else yeah but the state is doing that in your name to someone else
0: The the other point the difference between americanism and libertarianism mm-hmm. is that we don't craft governments to, to the barbaric part of us says, do whatever we want to do to that person because they no longer have a right to exist. Right. That's what our ancestors thought. Mm-hmm. And then Americanism, you know, in the form of our founding. Right. And which with heavy libertarian influence and people like John Locke and, and then ultimately the, the flourishing of libertarian thought in the 20th century. hmm. The point is that you don't craft laws around what you want to do to somebody else. You craft laws as if you are that person. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a very different way of thinking about the law and about policy. Because if you are this gentleman laying there being put to death by the state, and God forbid you're innocent, Mm -hmm. you get tortured on top of that you know even even though he is a murderer that he t- he did a horrendous act and he did a lot of bad things he is still a human being worthy Correct. of dignity mm-hmm. and this is where i completely agree with the pope yeah and it's shocking to see that i think it was like 75 over 75% of evangelical christians agree with the death penalty yeah pro lifers 49% 52% of catholics mhm you know and i just have to say like this the y- you as a christian should want a person to live as long of a life to give them as much opportunity to repent of their sins mm-hmm. to convert to change their ways and to be a witness to other people say i was this horrendous person and now i've changed you know there th- there isn't um any way I mean, if you look at the the two thieves on the cross between Jesus or Barabbas the murderer, I mean, he always was treating the worst elements of his society mm-hmm. with the greatest love and empathy. Right. And so, I don't know how you can look at that story and read that and go, as a Christian, I support that because that's you, there. Your tax dollars, you're morally complicit in a person being tortured to death. And even though he is a horrend- he, he did a horrendous thing, which I sometimes think we, we often say, you are judged by the worst thing that you ever did in your life. You were a murderer. Well, you committed an act. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that your whole entire character, it, it is a pretense for throwing out the um, dignity and respect and love that people are are, are that every person should have.
3: Yeah like uh, yeah and i get the idea of like warehousing them away from normal society away from people and restricting their freedom because they took a life i get right. that that i could get because yeah, i can't think of another is, system
0: there's absolutely no doubt about it yeah and i think from a uh, from a personal perspective you have to ask yourself would you personally kill someone and so this is always sort of my test with these issues is what what would i personally do mm-hmm. if i were in this situation Take away the fact that I'm a Department of Corrections official, Mm -hmm. and I legally have the right to put this person to death. Mm -hmm. Would I personally want to do that act? And the answer is no. I would rather the person be put into a cell for the rest of his life than me have to take his life. Because my personal morality, I don't think, is detached from what the government does. Hmm. Yeah. So... Um, so you have to think about what your definition of cruel and unusual punishment is. Uh, you know this the sedative in Tennessee's execution cocktail doesn't always render complete unconsciousness. It is possible for the inmate to feel the effects of the next two drugs, and what his what he feels is akin to being suffocated and burned alive at the same time.
3: Oh wow. Yeah.
0: So we would not put somebody at the stake mm-hmm. or suffocate them to death with a bag over their head, mm-hmm. but we're doing it chemically, and somehow we make that we make ourselves feel okay with that. Yeah, we're not
3: crucifying people. Who sit there in Tennessee, right? But this, they might as well just did that. That's basically what they've done. That's exactly right. So this one quickly, th- quicker though. Yeah, crucifixion would have took longer, but
0: this keeps going to the Supreme Court. And uh, Sonia Sotomayor wrote a dissenting opinion in this particular case about Irk. Um, Although the medallism may temporarily render Irk unconscious, uh, the onset of pain and suffocation will rouse him. I mean, that makes total sense. Your natural biology is going to, to waken your fight or flight, even if you've been mm-hmm. medicated. Uh, And it may do so just as the paralysis sets in too late for him to alert bystanders that the execution has gone wrong, that the execution has gone horribly wrong, if predictably. In refusing to grant Urk a stay, the court today turns a blind eye to a proven likelihood that the state of Tennessee is on the verge of inflicting several minutes of torturous pain on an inmate in its custody, Sotomayor wrote. If the law permits this execution to go forward in spite of this horrific of the horrific final minutes that Irk may well experience, and did, then we have stopped being a civilized nation and accepted barbarism. Do you agree with her statement that we are accepting barbarism by enacting this practice?
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which, agreeing with Mayor, I never <laughs> thought I'd do that. I know. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It just... And just talking with people is like, wow, is this how the abolitionists used to feel? Talking about, like, hey, man, you know, they're humans, you know? Right. Let's not do this. Come on, we're better than this, right? It's
0: a mighty big statement for you to say, considering your family's history.
3: Uh, It's called growth, okay? Okay. Okay. (laughs) Leading into the future. Harry,
0: lest you think I was a racist, Harry's family, he is descended from slave traders. (laughs) That's not a joke. (laughs) Um... Chief Justice Earl Warren once said uh, that in determining the uh, cruel and unusual punishment clause, each each generation should draw its meaning from evolving standards of decency that mark the progress of a maturing society. That was Trope v. Dulles in 58. What happens if—just <laughs> wacky thought, okay? Okay. <laughs> Crazy thought. What happens if our society starts to devolve? Mm-hmm. into more of a angry barbarous society. I don't know. Bar, 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 bar. Right. Let's say there's roving rabbles of Twitter mobs everywhere, and mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. dissolve into angry people with uh, tiki torches on the street and mm-hmm. and uh, bandanas mm-hmm. around our face, and then, uh, I don't know. It's a very
3: loose statement. Um, you get all Judge Dreddy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Scalia and Thomas, uh, and Thomas continues this today, but uh, obviously with Scalia past, he's no longer... Uh, rendering judgments basically said the standards of cruelty Difficult. to them were what were the punishments in 17 what were what was it uh, what was the standard of cruel and unusual punishment in 1791 and that is the standard from which we ought to operate which a tar and feathered tax people oh, oh, oh. you know what tar and feathering is horrific Horrific. Uh, burning people's skin off with tar yeah um, horrific
3: hanging someone <laughs> is horrific So the the clause Um, guillotine is horrific
0: in the strict constitutionalist view. The clause prohibits only barbaric methods of punishment, not disproportionate punishments. A life sentence for a parking violation, for example, would not violate the Constitution, in their opinion. Uh, Now, this is from the Constitution Center website, which is an amazing website uh, linked in our show notes. The cruel and unusual punishment clause does not prohibit the death penalty because capital punishment was permissible in 1971. Modern methods of punishment may violate the Cruel and Unusual Punishments Clause only if they are deliberately designed to inflict pain for pain's sake and are objectively harsher than the punishments permissible in 1791. I would also like to point out that in 1791, Harry could legally be my property. So maybe the standards of human dignity. That's, yeah. not
3: not We've
0: evolved in the last 250
3: years. Yeah, please, come on. Well, so we've moved on, you know. Remember, that's the same. Yeah, around that exact same time. Remember, the g- guillotine was coming into fashion for for k- in killing France, people. Exactly, yeah. was like, oh look, I got this great thing, it kills people. It's completely painless, <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> uh, the the there is a counter of point oh, on yeah. here. The Public appropriate executions. the, the, the <laughs> there is a great Dan Carlin episode on uh, uh, hardcore history mm-hmm. uh, called Painfotainment that. ...that if you're interested, you should go listen to. Um, The appropriate benchmark for determining whether a punishment is cruel and unusual is neither the subjective feelings of the current Supreme Court nor the outdated standards of 1791. Rather, the benchmark is longstanding prior practice. If a a given punishment has been continuously used for a very long time, this is powerful evidence that multiple generations of Americans have considered it reasonable and just. This does not mean that any punishment that was once part of our tradition can still be used. If once traditional punishment falls out of usage for several generations, it becomes unusual and it is cruel to reintroduce it. Um, The clause prohibits disproportionate punishments as well as barbaric methods of punishment. If a punishment is significantly harsher than punishments traditionally given for the same uh, similar crimes, it is cruel and unusual. Um, For example, it would be cruel and unusual to impose a life sentence for a parking violation but not for murder. Uh, The death penalty is currently constitutional because it is a traditional punishment that has never fallen out of usage. Um, Some punishment practices, such as lethal injection or long-term solitary confinement, appear to pose a risk of excessive physical or mental pain. If a court were to find that their effect is significantly harsher than the long-standing punishment practices, they have replaced, uh, it could be appropriately found as... Cruel and unusual. So that is from your Supreme Court, a couple of opinions on how that would operate from a legal perspective, mm-hmm. uh, amongst Amendment Eight of the United States Constitution. Harry, uh, uh,
3: This leads into the other topic. Like, see, like it's that type of reasoning that just that also leads into like the torture argument. Of it's like, okay, so that's your line for just this cr- criminal. It's like then. That bleeds over to everything, even torture. That's right.
0: And so we'll, we'll get into natural rights in the next segment, in yeah. our Path to Libertarianism segment. Um, so if you're just watching this segment on YouTube, make sure you go listen to the whole episode, because we dovetail this into a, uh, a conversation on torture. Um, but so why does this matter? I think you have to ask yourself a few questions. Um, uh, J. Lee Miller says, you know what's cruel and unusual punishment? I'm waiting to see what he says, and if it's anything other than this podcast, I'm firing him as a listener. Um, So, uh, Liberty Hangout's Facebook page. Oh. oh. (laughs) Very good, Jaylee. So, why does it matter? As libertarians, aren't we all skeptical of the ability of every level of government to administer their own rules correctly? Every level. Every single level?
3: Every level.
0: And sometimes things are not applied appropriately the rule of law is not is not fair and equal as it should be and so therefore the ultimate penalty the death penalty robbing some of their ability to be exonerated later and maybe have a few free years if they were innocent in my mind is just inappropriate and inexcusable as a citizen as a taxpayer and it just as a plain human being who doesn't want the government doing things in their name that that is that they consider immoral right um anyone in any any innocent person or tortured inmate is the result of voters and taxpayers allowing murder to take place. We are morally complicit. so you have to be completely comfortable with the way that this man died. Now if you have listened to this and you read some of the links that we've posted in the last two show notes on 305 and 307 and you, you have you have wrestled with the question and you have come to the conclusion that he killed a seven-year-old girl. And whatever happens to him happens to him. I'm not going to shed any tears about it. I understand. I I, I respect your decision. But if you are giving a knee-jerk ad, ad hoc just, well, this is just what I think, as opposed to reasoning it out, then mm-hmm. please re-examine your thought. I think you need to give every one of these major subjects deep thought and research. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to ask yourself if you would personally torture or mor- murder someone if they've committed a heinous act. Could you be the one pulling the switch? Right. And if you are not the one that is pulling the switch, then why do you want someone else doing it even though it's in your name? Yep. You, you, that's, that's not how it works. Yeah. So just a few things uh, to think about. I would also say libertarianism at its core is about empathy. And I want to give the worst amongst us – the longest amounts of time possible to repent and change their ways. And uh, lastly, we should design our system as if we are the ones accused and not just part of the mob screaming at someone saying, do whatever to them.
3: Yeah. Or at least anything just to study them. Is it- there we go.
0: All right, so this uh, this segment was brought to you by our store. Let's be honest. Other than Jeffrey Tucker, libertarians do not dress well. Maybe Harry. We Are Libertarians has a solution. It is the new We Are Libertarians store. Get the shirt that men covet and women cannot resist now by clicking the link at wearelibertarians.com. Because Dear Leader is generous and thorough, we also have women's shirts. Don't forget to send us photos of yourself in your shirt to editor at wearelibertarians.com, and we will post it. All right, we are back to the action uh, welcome back to We Are Libertarians, episode number 307. I'm Chris Spangle, and this is Harry Price. Harry, how are you? Going
3: good. Going good.
0: If you haven't subscribed to our show, please do so now. Please be sure to lo- uh, leave a rating and review while you're there. This segment is brought to you by the We Are Libertarians store at Um, You know, I want to add in a segment called The Path to Libertarianism. As, as you may have heard earlier in the show... Uh, we have something called The Path to Libertarianism at WeAreLibertarians.com that teaches you the basics of, of, of libertarianism. And I think it's easy to lose sight of the basics of libertarianism and foundational principles and, and also applying those directly to uh, news stories of the day. And so I want to make a point every episode towards the end in the third segment of, of talking about Uh, the philosophy that we believe in and grounding ourselves in it and remembering that libertarianism is constant. It is a constant in our life, and we are the ones that measure ourselves against that constant truth, and we are the ones that change, not the philosophy. I see so many people trying to adjust libertarianism to whatever they believe, Mm -hmm. and that's just not how it works. So... You know, I was I was reading the news and Gina Haspel who is our CIA director currently was running a secret black site in Thailand and she was involved in torture and it got me to thinking about the libertarian approach to torture. Now I'm not talking about libertarian torture uh, <laughs> which is basically liberty and chill, right? That's
3: How dare you. <laughs> <laughs> I re people sit there and I yell at them voluntarily. No, uh, reading the comments on our Facebook page. Yes, uh, yes. On,
0: on the big page, yep. uh, go look at our Facebook page. That is libertarian torture. Um, but no, she is our CIA director. She is in charge of. We. Uh, for the, she's not your CIA director. Okay. Um. So because of a of a FOIA request, a Freedom of Information Act request, her cables were declassified. Three months too late, outlining new details of torture perpetrated by the CIA and uh, Americans during the war on terror. And Gina Haspel was in charge of a black site in Thailand. Harry, what is a black site? Black site? Other than your house.
3: How dare you? Um, no, my site is not a black site or the uh, website that you have as your homepage on your browser. Um, a black site is basically one of those ABC agencies where things go in, things don't go out. No one, no one's supposed to know of the site. No one knows where it goes. Right? Yeah. It's it's black as in dark as in there's nothing. You know, nothing, nothing's happening here.
0: So the these cables were released, and here what here's what was in the cables, according to the Independent, in a story titled "Torture of Terror Suspect at CIA Black Site Operated by Current Director Gina Haspel," detailed in newly declassified cables. They write the cables dating from 2002 detail actions taken against subset, uh, suspect Abd al-Rahim al nazahiri Uh, who in one interrogation, according to the documents, had his clothes ripped from him as he whimpered that he would do anything his interrogators required. He was told if he did not cooperate, he would suffer in ways he never thought possible. Interrogation escalated, she writes, uh, rapidly from the subject being aggressively debriefed by interrogators while standing at the walling wall, to multiple applications of the walling technique and ultimately multiple applications of the watering technique, reads one document referring to the use of waterboarding. Another document, uh, and and just so you, uh, in case you're not familiar, walling, uh, I put in here somewhere, um, because I didn't know what that was.
3: Which is the one that put them on the wall?
0: Walling is a method of torture used by the CIA in which a person's neck is encircled by a collar and the collar then used to slam the person against the wall. According to information gathered by the Red Cross from six detainees, walling meant beating by use of a collar in at least one instance against a concrete wall. Um, So... Uh, Al-Nazahiri crawled into the small box which he in yeah. which he was confined after the torture session was completed. The questioners told the prisoner they did not believe he was telling the truth and threatened more action if he did not cooperate, though it appears they eventually concluded he was not withholding information.
3: Um, if you read the cable, they talk about the, when they did that, they walled him, they pushed him to the ground. They shaved all the hair off his head, mm-hmm. they stripped him of his clothes, then they put him in that box. Right. So, they didn't just, like, put him in a box.
0: This is the first time that we've seen any detailed information of what we saw in the Abu Ghraib pictures. Yeah. Uh, so it it has been confirmed that she was in charge of the site and that she's suspected of riding the cables. Um, the archive with one outstanding question was whether Miss Haspel wrote cable, uh, one cable from uh, December 1st, 2002, which used remarkably viv- vivid language to describe the torture sessions. Uh, the interrogator strode cat-like into the well-lit confines of the cell, deftly removed the subject's black hood with a swipe, paused, and in a deep measured voice said that the subject, having calmed down after his staged run-in with his hulking, heavily muscled guards the previous day should reveal what subject had done to vex his guards to the point of rage. Uh, Mr. al-Nazahiri, a Saudi citizen, is believed by U.S. intelligence officials to be behind the 2000 bombing attack on the coal that killed 17 U.S. sailors and injured dozens more. He has denied this. He was seized in 2002 and held for four years on various secret CIA prisons in Afghanistan, Thailand, Poland, Morocco, and um, Romania. He was transferred to the US uh he was transferred to Guantanamo, where he was eventually brought before the Guantanamo Military Commission and charged with plotting the attack on the coal. He faces the death penalty if convicted. Two thousand six when he was charged, and still waiting on his conviction. That's a long time ago, Harry.
4: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, So just so you know, waterboarding is a war crime, both under U.S. and international law, dating back to the U.S. prosecution of Japanese soldiers for torturing U.S. POWs during World War II. So we pushed to have Japanese soldiers prosecuted for war crimes when they tortured us using waterboarding. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, Dick Cheney says it's not waterboarding anymore, and we just deny that it is, and we put this person in charge of the CIA.
3: Right. Yeah and then you've got jackal heads here in the United States from the middle of all like, it's not waterboarding, not that bad. It's not that rough. Christopher Hitchens
0: got waterboarded, one of the, the greatest liberals to ever live, and he was in favor of the Iraq War uh, and, and those wars. He mm-hmm. became kind of a hawk, uh, and he got waterboarded and basically said, if this isn't torture, then I don't know what is. Uh, so, I mean, he he was given the full treatment by former security agents, uh, so he he considered it torture, and he was somebody that was sympathetic to the Bush administration during that period. Mm-hmm. So I think some of the central questions you have to ask yourself, if you support torture, what is your line? Right. Like, where do you draw the line? Uh, and, and so if you're going to physically assault someone, or mm-hmm. sexually assault someone even, where does that stop? Um. What's that line for you? At what age must a victim be before torture becomes acceptable? Uh, are family members of targeted people also fair game? Will resulting information be useful or utterly uh, unreliable? Because as we'll see, the information gathered during torture is uh, not uh, n- not usable usually. <clears throat> so, and this... this uh, this period, I mentioned Abu Ghraib, and for you young people, you may not remember this, but there was a period where some pictures got released of, like, you, you, it's hard to explain to, to people who were in elementary school when this happened, mm-hmm. the absolute fervor. Of, I, yeah. I I, I I grew up in a town with... Um, Uh, major headquarters of, uh, it was like 98% white and 2% Muslim. Mm -hmm. And I had uh, two best friends that were Muslim. Their dad was in charge of something called ISNA. And I saw people in the days after 9-11 go, uh, including one of my best friends who was their best friend, you know, claim... I bet they're they're keeping weapons inside. I'm like, you've known these guys our entire life. Like, I saw people turn on these two guys because of their faith. Uh, like, they knew these were, were decent people, but it just the the amount of anti-Muslim sentiment after mm-hmm. 9/11 was intense, uh, and it was 24/7 security by the Plainfield Police for a period of time mm-hmm. at that particular location. Um, oh, excuse me.
3: Coffee maker. Oh, that's the. Co- I thought my headphones were getting too too close. No, no, it's the coffee maker. It has an auto shut up feature. <laughs>
0: okay. All right. Well, it scared me. <laughs> um, and and the propaganda around the war. You think that the propaganda around Russia, or oh, that's true. Or, yeah. or you think the fervor of politics today it doesn't hold a candle to two thousand and three and the Iraq war lead up, mm-hmm. and post nine eleven. Um. George Bush could have asked for whatever he wanted and would have gotten it in the days after nine eleven. I mean, it was yep. there were very few people. Julia Carson was uh, the congressperson here in Indianapolis, so one of the few people who stood up against the Afghanistan war, and was. I mean, it was Poo-poo. Bru- Poo-poo. it was yeah. brutal. And she got poo pooed down. Yeah. yeah, so it's so when the Abu Ghraib photos came out, mm-hmm. it was. Oh, maybe all these anti-war people have had a point. Or, yeah. and, oh, maybe we're going too far. And, oh, wow, what's happening to us? Uh, here's why. So this comes from Counterpunch, a brief history of American torture. Um, the most notorious of these torture prisons was Abu Ghraib near Baghdad, Iraq, where prolonged vicious beatings, sexual humiliation, and death threats were common, and where men and at least one boy and allegedly numerous women were raped by their jailers, the jailers being American soldiers. As one former guard there equipped, you can't spell abuse without Abu. Abu grabe detainees were forced to sleep in flooded cells without mattresses, flooded with water, stripped naked and forced to crawl and bark like dogs, attacked with dogs, forced to curse Islam, and eat pork and food from dirty toilets. Old men were dragged around by their hair, ridden like donkeys, and urinated on soldiers like Ch- Sergeant Charles Grainer, who was fond of sodomizing innocent detainees with found objects. The Christian in me says it's wrong, Grainer said, of torturing prisoners, but the the corrections officer in me says I love making a grown man piss himself. And then there's the experimentation aspect of torture. Um, we pay two psychologists... Uh, Eighty million dollars to run these black sites. Like they didn't have staffs; it was two guys. They got forty mil each to oh, wow. ru- to set up these programs. Uh, and as the the nation writes, the CIA just didn't torture it; experimented on human beings. The road from abstract hypotheticals to the authorized use of waterboarding and confinement boxes runs straight into the train of human experimentation. On April 15, 2002, Mitchell and Jessen arrived at the black site in Thailand to supervise the interrogation of Azub Abu Z- Abu Zubaydah. Uh, now, it's been rumored that she was there and helped torture Zubaydah, and that's not true. She was not. Uh, the first high-value detainee captured by the CIA. By July, Mitchell proposed more coercive techniques to CIA headquarters, and many of these were approved in late July. From then on, until the program was dry-docked in 2008... At least 38 people were subjected to psychological and physical torments, and the results were methodically documented and analyzed. That is the textbook definition of human experimentation.
3: Oof. So well, it's a black sites, they can do what they want, right? They don't exist. It's all those things they use for like, oh, oh yeah, because yeah, because when the photos came out, it was always like these rumors of these black sites and what stuff was going on, and even now, like you see, like some some of these people that wasn't up there. You know, they just see them as photos of memes and stuff like that. But it's like, no, no, right. when those photos came out, that was you know, It's was it was bad. It was bad.
0: So what are what are the arguments against torture from a libertarian perspective? Uh the first is the moral argument. And it was captured really well by Wendy McEllery from Fee in, a, in an article called Libertarianism and Torture. Uh, And she writes, libertarianism declares that no moral or practical consideration outweighs the right of a peaceful individual to use his own body and property. When rights are breached, the accused is entitled to due process before remedies can justly be imposed, and those remedies must be proportional to the violation. Ultimately, however, I oppose torture not because I am a libertarian, but because I am a human being. Torture destroys everyone and everything decent it touches, mm-hmm. including the torturer's humanity, i.e., the guy who's a Christian, but he loves to make a grown man piss himself. Right. Um, and so if Abu Zubaydah or, or, or Osama bin Laden or any of these people are captured, then they're to be put on trial. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're, they're, yeah. You're not. You're According
3: not. To our rules. Our laws. Our right. constitution. Right. That's what's supposed to happen. Yeah. It's the idea of holding them into a black site and torturing them. It's just going to cause blowback.
0: And what if they're innocent?
3: Oh, that too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, the blowback's going to happen, you know, doing it regardless of whether they did it or not. But, yeah, right. especially if they're innocent because you, you – well, the thing is, like, with the – they have no ability to – because they probably have no evidence against them or they don't want to produce anything in there or they don't want them speaking. Right. But the idea that they can even prove they're innocent or even just go against of being being held at this site. Because we don't know, like a lot of these guys. If you go through a lot of them, a lot of them still retain they're innocent after all this happened on Duel. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, like some of the stuff that happened. You're just like, dude, you just kill me, just kill me. Yeah, I did that. Just kill me. Right. I'm tired of this. You know.
0: Yeah, at the end of the day, every person is entitled to not be harassed, and their person is not to be violated. Mm-hmm. And if you have evidence, then you put them on trial. And if they are convicted after a after due process and after a trial of their peers, uh, then then you then you do with them what you will. And that doesn't include torture. That means you put them in prison. They lose their rights and their freedom by being put in a place where they don't have access to their full rights. True, yeah. But their person still should not be violated. Correct. That is a fundamental tenet of Americanism. Mm-hmm. And and I would say, well, they're not Americans. I, I, go ahead.
3: Doesn't matter. Or prove it in court. <laughs> take them to court and prove it. Right. You won't even take them to court. Or your constitution doesn't state that you don't have to give them these rights. Right. Nor that stops. If you believe in the concept of natural rights of yeah.
0: individual rights, then you are when you are born, you are just in, you inherently have certain rights, mm-hmm. uh, and and it goes to sort of the Lockean arguments uh, that, that led to the founding, the natural rights argument, which I'll get to in a moment. Um, but if let's let's move on to the effectiveness argument because the effectiveness argument because even if you morality schmorality, yeah, these guys are bad guys. We've got to get them. We've got to I do with them. What we, 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 It's like 24. We've got 30 seconds to detonate the bomb. We've de- got to de- de- put a car de- de- battery to their balls. Yeah. Um, Michael Schmermer, uh, who is the head of uh, Skeptic Magazine, wrote an article in Scientific American. We've known 400 years that torture doesn't work. And uh, it, one paragraph really stood out to me in this article. In contrast to 2014 study in the Journal of Applied Cognitive Psychology entitled The Who, What, When, Why, and... The Who, What, and Why of Human Intelligence Gathering surveyed 152 interrogators and found that rapport and relationship-building techniques were employed most often and perceived as the most effective of, regardless of the context and the intended outcomes, particularly mm-hmm. in comparison to confrontational techniques. Mm-hmm. Another 2014 study in the same journal interviewing high-value detainees sampled 64 practitioners and detainees and found that... Detainees were more likely to disclose meaningful information and earlier in the interview when Rapaport building techniques were used. Imagine that treating someone nicely and making and flipping like a them human. like a human being with mm-hmm. dignity mm-hmm. causes them to eventually come to your side. That's a basic yeah. persuasion.
3: Yeah. It's like um, if you ever watch those like those true crime like true TV shows. And you mm-hmm. see that old detective, that police officer, and then when they get them, they sit there. They don't have anything, they don't have no case, they just know but they have no evidence. Right. And they sit there and they spend the hours just talking to this guy, they eventually get him to one break down and just start confessing to everything. Right. You know? They they know this dude's a scumbag. This guy's a scumbag and just killed three people. Well, but there's they're, there's are talking gr- to him.
0: Yeah, there's they, a great series on Hulu or Amazon or Netflix or one of them called The Looming Tower and it follows Ali Soufan, who was an FBI agent tracking the Cole guys, and Mm -hmm. and uh, you know it shows his techniques and how you know they don't really care about you and why would you have loyalty to blah 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 you know and and it works, (coughs) including you know and some light fear tactics, but it's persuasion. It's not shoving a, a a. bottle up somebody's butt and can, and thinking that that's going to make them give you... All that does is make them hate you. Yeah. Like, Harry, if you hated me, are you are you more or less likely to give me what I want?
3: Exactly, yeah. You're not going to give me what I want. I have no reasoning that this is going to stop. Even if I give you everything you want, dude, you've already, like, broke the barrier, the touch barrier. Like, I could give you what you want, and you seem to be enjoying this. Right. <laughs> you know, so... You know, I don't know if it's going to stop, you know, yeah. just to give you what you want, you know. And even like some of that light torture stuff happens even here in the United States because some some districts just do it to get out of people. Uh, so in most cases, these are persuasive. like
0: young men who are very backwards emotionally. Mm-hmm. And the slightest amount of vulnerability and empathy makes them open up and pops them like a can of, you know,
3: tinned yeah. biscuits. Well, that's the other thing. You hear a lot of Navy SEALs will talk about that when they capture these guys. Like, Well, these guys are cowards. All right, if they're cowards. Then why do you need to do all this stuff and threaten them and do all this if they're such cowards? Right, they cower. At the end, of it's a threat to them. Then you know. Then why do
0: you need to do this? So there is a 459-page report by the Senate Intelligence uh, Senate Select Committee on Intelligence uh, in 2014, and just the abstract was like 200 or it was like 500 pages. <laughs> So the actual report, I don't think, has been released. Just the 459 pages of, of the initial findings. So there's a lot there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they the documents related to torture of terrorism suspects concluded that the CIA's use of enhanced interrogation techniques, see torture, was not effective means of acquiring intelligence or gaining cooperation from detainees. It adds that multiple CIA detainees fabricated information resulting in faulty intelligence. So
3: um yeah that's the other thing is like someone's gonna give you whatever the heck you want just to make it stop right and the other thing is like you see how long they've got these people even if they did have names dates or stuff like that or what they believe or what some of that as long as you've had them all their intel is garbage right you know now you're just doing it for pleasure you felt this guy for four years yeah all his intel is dirt all his intel is dirt so what he could let's say he has all the pastors and all the sites, but they're well, done now.
0: They were trained in their manuals. The jihadists were trained to give like certain traces of truthful information, mm-hmm. but then not. I mean, it's very interesting. This book that um, Soufan wrote called "The Black Banners," about this period, and well, this not this period, the lead up, and then uh, he he has a follow follow up book. Uh, the uh, I can't I can't remember the title, but I'll put it in the show notes. Um, the natural rights argument uh, that all men are created equal, that all men are are inherently uh, granted the their right to life, liberty, and property, based on Lockean principles and concepts like rule of law are important. There was a a CTC a counterterrorism uh, something. CTC legal letter for the CIA on torture statutes that was allegedly wrote, Mm -hmm. where basically before they started doing these techniques, they asked the Justice Department, like, hey, can you tell us what we'll do to break the law? So they already had an awareness that they were going to do illegal things, Mm -hmm. and they were asking for individual CIA agents to be dismissed from legal proceedings to have this CYA letter drafted. Uh, and so that's that's not following the rule of law. If you're asking a phony baloney letter to be, you know, it's a, literally, literally, literally a get out of jail free card is what they were asking for. Mm-hmm. It's not following the rule of law, which is a foundational principle of, of the republic of any. Unless it's pure anarcho capitalism, if you've got a little bit of force centralized in a government, you've got to have rule of law where the rules are written down and everybody follows them equally and they're equally applied. Um, and opposing tyranny, obviously. Any, we oppose any tyranny. And I think when you read that passage about Abu Ghraib, that's tyrannical behavior.
3: Yes. So, Yep. yes. And, and then as you got these guys, these zealots, and you've captured them... They are going to, if they are who they say they are, right, right. who you think they are, they're going to fall back in their training because everything they've ever heard about americans America is how tyrannical they are, how awful they are. Right. You were proving it right exactly. to them. So right. they're just going to fall right into the training, just like any of the Navy SEALs would. It drives just them like a, Just like a, a Marine would. They would just fall right back into the training. Like, oh, these guys are scumbags, just like the guys told me they are.
0: Grant asked what CYA, yes, cover your ass letter. Um, you know. In 1689, Locke wrote in the Second Treaty of Government that people are born with certain inalienable rights, and you're born with inalienable rights. Mm -hmm. You're born regardless of your nationality. Nationality Mm -hmm. does not play into it. The right to not be fucked with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we as Americans don't get to just decide that we get to violate someone else's natural right because we are Americans and they are Muslims.
3: Correct. Because we were well, born on the landmass known as the United States. That's right. The magic line.
0: It's, it's, it's just not how it works. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can't take them away. A government cannot erase these rights. Mm-hmm. And, you know, among these, uh, you know, uh, so, so the Constitutional Rights Foundation, which had a, a nice little ditty on some of this. Locke believed that the most basic human law of nature is the preservation of mankind. To serve that purpose, he reasoned, individuals have both a right and a duty to preserve their own lives. Murderers, however, forfeit their right to life since they act outside the law of reason. Locke also argued that individuals should be free to make choices about how to conduct their own lives as long as they do not interfere with the liberty of others. Locke, therefore, believed liberty should be far-reaching. And so going back to the murderer's part, yes, they forfeit their rights. If the evidence is compiled and it goes through a trial and a jury finds mm. them to be guilty. Correct. And that is what is so fundamentally egregious about Gitmo mm-hmm. and that someone like the, uh, the the first guy that we talked about is still in Gitmo. 2006 was when his trial was and he's still not been uh, charged. So uh, he's been charged, but he's not had a trial.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So obviously... Seriously, messed up. Oh yeah. You know what?
3: It's snowing in here.
0: It's not snowing in here.
3: Feels like it should be.
0: I'm hot. I'm very hot. I could use a fan. And you know where I should buy a fan at, Harry? Where? Amazon.com. Everyone loves to shop at Amazon. We love Amazon, and most of our studio was purchased on Amazon. So when you shop there, go to WeAreLibertarians.com and click our link before you make a purchase. We've already made 50 cents, Harry. Woo-hoo! Thanks, Christy. Uh, or Jason. <laughs> I just assume. Without costing you a dime, Amazon will give We Are Libertarians a commission, and we've already made 50 cents, as I said. Uh, Yay!
3: I'm going to redo my Amazon Prime order for the week, so we'll see what all goes through. All
0: right, do it. So when you need to get that new infant circumcision trainer for $192 because you don't believe in genital mutilation... Get it through our link at wearelibertarians.com or update your bookmark with it so you never forget. And while you're there, take a look at our Amazon wish list to help offset the cost of new equipment. All right. Welcome back to We Are Libertarians. Now is our new segment called Undercover News. The mainstream media has discovered their profit centers, and that leaves many important issues uncovered. And in un- Uncovered News, we bring you information that you need to know. And you can submit a link at wearelibertarians.com. On the sidebar, there's a little uh, thing there. Or look out on uh, Sundays when we post the topics. You can send news there or at editor at wearelibertarians.com. Uh, big news breaking before the show. Gary Johnson has announced that he is running for New Mexico Senate, uh, and uh, they released a new ad, and here is a little bit of what that ad sounded like.
6: He paid his way through college as a handyman, growing that small business into the largest construction company in the state with a 1,000 employees and a reputation for ethical behavior. He's an Ironman triathlete, an avid cyclist and outdoorsman, An adventurer who summited Mount Everest with frostbitten toes and a leg still healing from a recent break. During his two terms as governor, he did what people in office rarely do he kept his word. He vetoed wasteful spending 750 times, cut taxes 14 times, reduced the size of state government through better management instead of layoffs. He left the people of his state with hundreds of miles of new highways, new schools and bridges, improved state services, a balanced budget and a billion dollar surplus. All without raising taxes, a penny. He's fiscally conservative and socially cool. GQ magazine described him as absurdly honest and smart. Gary Johnson isn't the norm in politics. He's the future. You
1: know what Gary Johnson will do in the Senate because you know Gary Johnson.
0: All right, and uh, it ends with him being fiercely independent at the end of that video, uh, which whatever whatever socially cool means. But uh, this ad was crafted by Ron Nielsen, which I'm no fan of Ron Nielsen. Nielsen has. Uh, Desires of being the ultimate power play in the libertarian movement, and uh, I've I've had various sources within the libertarian party say that the reason that Gary Johnson had such high payments to consulting fees, i.e., Ron uh, Nielsen, mm-hmm. during his two campaigns, is that um, yeah, well, it was back payments. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so I just think Nielsen was a very subpar campaign manager, especially in 2016, and uh, I'm frankly, disappointed that Gary sticks with him. But, hey, st- if, if Harry were incompetent, I'd stick with Harry because he's my friend. Uh, that's right, buddy. Yeah, um, screen five. <laughs> so, L- L- Aubrey Dunn was the, the LP candidate there and dropped out uh, on July 30th. And then uh, Johnson was strongly considering getting into replace, vying to unseat Senator Martin Heinrich, a Democrat who was seeking re-election for a second term, Uh, Mark Rich is the Republican, and uh, Clinton won New Mexico by eight points in 2016. The Cook Political Report, a top nonpartisan election handicapper, and a site that we subscribe to here at We Are Libertarians thanks to our patrons, has the race rated as solidly Democrat. Uh, He's definitely a long shot, but he won 9% of the vote during 2016's race. Uh, So it could definitely... Uh, th- they say here, siphon away report from the Republican candidate. Uh, that, oh, old, yeah. that old gag.
3: Oh, uh, it's good to siphon. Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: my votes. My wasted votes. Yep. Uh, Mike Tront suggested that we do the story. Thanks for submitting this article in the Facebook group. Mike, he, he writes Do you discuss the Saudi coalition bombing of the school bus in Yemen that killed 50? It's barely covered in the press, and when it is talked about, the fact that the U.S. is heavily involved with the coalition doesn't seem to get a mention. Uh, And he's exactly right. So there was a bombing in Yemen. There's a civil war that's taking place, um, you know, largely backed by the United States on the Saudi side. Um, And the Reuters writes, Saudi coalition led airstrikes on Thursday, killing dozens of people, including children traveling on a bus through a market in Yemen's Sada province, a Yemeni health official, uh, and the Red Cross said... The Western-backed alliance fighting the Iranian-aligned Houthi, gr- Houthi group in Yemen said in a statement that the airstrikes targeted missile launchers and they were used to attack the southern Saudi city of Jizan on Wednesday, killing a Yemeni civilian there. According to a Yemeni journalist on Twitter, an American-made Raytheon Mark 82 general-purpose freefall bomb was used as the weapon of choice in this attack, and he uploaded photos. Although I will say that uh, the photos are very narrow. Mm-hmm. But um, you can. I've provided the link, and you can go and check that out. Uh, up next here on Uncu- Undercover News, the West could be closer to China's system of social credit scoring than you think. Now, this is an opinion piece, um, but I f- thought this was really interesting. It predates the Black Mirror episode, but everybody thinks that China developed it based on the Black Mirror episode. Uh, China has become the largest surveillance. I can never say this fucking word.
3: Surveillance. <sighs> surveillance. That's what you're trying I to say. am
0: struggling. I am struggling tonight.
3: We had one gallon of water today.
0: <sighs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, I I got up at seven, went to work, and I've been I've been cranking it, uh, not cranking it, but <laughs> cranking it since this morning. China has become the largest surveillance state on the planet, taking a page out of the Netflix show The Black Mirror. They've begun assigning scores that dictates its citizens' ability to travel, their social mobility, educational opportunities, and where they can live. Uh, The first, online behavior is subject to intense scrutiny. Online speech that denigrates others results in score deductions, while tattling increases scores. Getting blacklisted means Internet usage limitations, public humiliation, or a complete Internet ban. Second, banking and social media information are collected, stored, and evaluated. Even before scoring, speech in China was highly policed. The difference is now bad speech has significant consequences." Uh, the freedom of travel has also been highly regulated. Last Tuesday, uh, CBS reporter Lee Hu—you're supposed to say Lee Hu no, no, uh, Hu. No, no, no. Who no. is currently
4: no. a, <laughs>
0: unable to fly for failure to sincerely apologize for some of his tweets, and it limits access to public roads, railways, waterways, aviation, channels, and other such transportation markets. Um, they calculate scores with the help of all of their various. Uh, social media empires Uh, finally here on undercover news undercovered news uh well i want to get your opinion on the social credit thing do you think that could happen here
3: yeah because of how people are and it's always something like that way in um certain circles especially with um in um in like I don't know how it was in that podcast space. You probably did, you could probably tell me, but like when you hear YouTubers talk about it when they go to like, well how many subscribers you have? Right. What do you subscribe? Would you like to dislike right here? where are you on social blade? Don't talk to me until you get this on social blade. Right. And it's like, oh and if and considering to get on YouTube, to do anything on YouTube, you have, you get a channel. So technically, then everyone technically is sitting there on social blade and all their analytics and all the metrics. So some people won't mess or network or do dip with certain people, depending on the social blade numbers. Sure. Which yeah.
0: Now obviously... you, now you add government force to that social proof. Right.
3: And then you get these jackwagons who wants to do all this ID co-aid crap, and they're under freaking cryptocurrency bull crap and gets even scarier. I have no idea what you just said. I don't want to get into it, <laughs> but it's um. So yeah, can I see it happening in some awful corporatist dystopia version of the United States that it's that feel like we're marching to? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Because that, especially when like certain people, cause they don't want to know how, well, how can I trust you? How can I do stuff like that? You, you, because, you know, how many different jobs have you applied for that they wanted to see? well, well what's your LinkedIn profile? You know what's your? Uh, can we see your Facebook profile? Right. I, I like. I remember applying for a job. I was like, can I see your Facebook profile? No, hell well, the, no.
0: Well, there were articles this week that people who liked Alex Jones on Twitter, they followed him on Twitter, and they were denied their applications to college, and man. that was the reason. Wow. Who, boy? I know. I, man. Imagine man. James niece in a world of social credit.
3: One of the original four chan moderators. <sighs> see yeah yeah and that's the thing it's ah oh, man it's uh, people i hate all of you on the internet i don't want you guys on you guys need to get back off i into the 90s i want it to be complicated to get back on i want you guys off you know what
0: discord is you guys are terrible
3: <laughs> you guys the discord if you love if you love if harry
0: is your favorite co-host you're gonna love discord yeah Discord's nice. That's the the, the, hair, the land of Harry.
3: Yeah, it's nice. You know I wish I could get more on but like right now it's like been finals month for my school so it's got I've been like super busy this month. I can't wait till September.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the Discord's the Discord needs activity. It needs uh it needs a, a a Mighty pony's
3: attention. It's okay. Yeah, I'm going to post more pony stuff and I'm actually going to do a lo- uh, No, no, loc- no, no,
0: we're trying to drive people there. Stop.
3: If you love ponies, okay? <laughs> uh, and we're Gen 4 ponies. Um don't bring that Gen 3 group, but um, or just like just generally, most of the stuff is going on it's like Tech Talk, or just like getting into different like talks that like, people, but people really get into it. it's. It's also neat to have like a conversation away from the you know Zuckerberg. That's right. that's the other thing like that. And granted, I will say this: that if I would have thought the Discord would be what it was when I first started it way back then. I don't think Discord would be my first joint because I never I, when I first started didn't think that many people would come down there. Yeah, it didn't. W- what would have have been? Um, keybase, keybase.io, and when we would have went to like some also super private, super crypto, cr- crypto secure <laughs> <laughs> encrypted key <laughs> server. <laughs> You, so you basically just you want? Why don't, you,
0: why don't you just have a chat with you and Paul Copeland and, and James Nees then? Because and Reinhold, that's all that would be there. Possibly. <laughs> you know. realize what we're trying to do here. We're trying. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. I get that. Build I get community. that. I get that. We're, we're not supposed to build fancy places for you and your four friends to hang out. We're trying to engage the audience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Give these lonely people friends. That's what the Discord's for. Yeah, it's hundreds fun. of friends. On there.
3: I, and a, one, one thing I want to know is, I wonder if Dear Leader knows that when he listens to Spotify with Discord open, mm-hmm. that it tells us what you're listening to. I don't care.
0: <laughs> I listen to, I, the
3: Who. Yeah, it's I was, basically the. Who. I was sitting there like looking at. It, it's like man, the Who judging. No, I like the Who, but I'm just gonna just judge your entire playlist. Uh, you go for it, buddy. Can't so my, wait. Wait, my, you play something so I can judge it.
0: My Bumble's connected to it too, so they everybody judges me online. That's just it's. I have my own social credit system, and it's this audience. Yeah. Uh, all right. Final story here in undercover news. Uh, fans outraged. Gay actress Ruby Rose isn't gay enough to play Batwoman. From Reason Magazine, the CW fared uh, poorly in casting Ruby Rose, who is the very attractive gender fluid actor sharp faced woman from uh black orange is the new black
3: orange is the new black she was uh, uh ruby rose was amazing in um john wick 2 i mean okay. amazing the character yeah. that ruby played was god there was freaking beautiful amazing. eyes short oh, hair was it something to the way like cuz playing a deaf character and went through it and was just so deadly and serious it was just like I've never thought Ruby Rose could do type of that because I've right. never you know I've just seen like photos you know of uh, Ruby from um, Orange to Do Black but seeing Ruby Rose like John Williams was like oh I'm a huge fan started right. following on Instagram and I was like this is I'm, I'm watching this this you know what, what else are you going to do what else can you bring to the screen and the idea that Ruby Rose to play Batwoman well, was like that was to me when I first heard that. I was like, "Perfect choice, Right. perfect choice." So she gets I'm cast. Too short.
0: She gets cast to portray Katie Kane, a mm-hmm. uh, Kate Kane in an upcoming Batwoman show on the CW. Her character is a Jewish lesbian. Rose is gender fluid and part of the LGBT commu- community, but not Jewish, which isn't good enough for those who think the actor must check off all the same boxes as the character. Rose was attacked on social media and quit Twitter over the weekend, uh, t- turned off all the commenting on her Instagram, and basically like put out a post saying, like, I've been gay since I was 12. Do you know what I've had to put up with for this community? And oi. Uh, so she didn't say oi. But it- it's like uh, the intersectional politics. Yeah is if you don't match all these boxes, it's it's just, it's literally a hell. And I wonder how long before, you know, uh, a lot of the people, on, now Hollywood is going, oh, the mob is crazy. What have we done?
3: Right, yeah, and they created the mob. They, they live next to the mob, Right. you know. And
0: But I want to take reason to task, and it's not reason's fault, and I'm sure we've done it and will continue to do it, Twitter is not news. And there's this thing in the media where we take tweets and we turn it into news. Char- the one-year anniversary of Charlottesville is not news to me. Okay? a hundred Like, it was news when it happened. Right. But a bunch of Klan people show Like, I've lived in Indiana my whole life, and I've only met one Klan's person. And this was the only state that elected a Klan governor. Now, I'm sure there's been some hidden Klansmen... That mm-hmm. I've run into, but I've only met one white supremacist who was proud to be white supremacist. And no, he was not a former co host. Like, there is a very small amount of people in this country who are white supremacists, Nazis, KKK members. Okay. But if you turned on CNN or listened to the New York Times podcast or listened to the mainstream media the past week, you would have thought. That the Klan was a ruling political, a dominant political party in the United States of America. Right. You're creating a story. You're Mm -hmm. creating a narrative. And you're creating something that isn't true to try and further an agenda to push other elements. Correct. And the right does this, too, with the intersectional politics stuff. This is certainly ridiculous. There isn't any reason for anyone to be upset that an amazing actress, regardless of her ability, but it is good that someone who can identify with the character is chosen to play this. But just because some wackadoodles on Twitter have a problem with it,
3: it doesn't mean it's a real news story. Even if they don't like completely identify with every aspect of a character, you're role-playing a char- You're acting right. out a character. Right. It's a character. Appreciate art right. for what it is. You know, it's it's a character. Right. So <laughs> you know, I, I Is every Batman villain supposed to have that same ment- mental instability?
0: So, you know, CNN interviewing or NPR interviewing Jason Kessler, the white supremacist, I understand why they want to do it because I, I understand why NPR wants to do it because they did a long-form interview with him trying to understand what he believes and who he is. Right. CNN, fuck you because... You had him on for two minutes, and you know you're not getting anything of substantive value. You're just pushing... CNN yeah. is just propaganda. can get that sound it's clip. It's just the same. All, t- all TV news is insulting to your intelligence. Don't watch it. It doesn't matter if it's Fox News, MSNBC, whatever. It's insulting your intelligence. Don't watch it. Yeah. Uh, so, th- but having him on is just to propagate... A n- prop uh, Keep going a narrative. Um, with this... You know, pulling some tweets from half a dozen people and then saying it's a story is just and affecting. And so sympathetic people who are sympathetic to the intersectional politics run to their barriers and go, we've got to defend our side. And then our side goes, we've got to defend our side for freedom and individual rights. Hmm. And so you're just not doing the public any uh, decent service by continually treating Twitter as if it's some kind of news source. It's not. You know, when we've got American bombs killing fifty children in a school bus in Yemen, that's a news story. Yes, that as an as an American taxpayer, I want to know that I am complicit in killing children in Yemen, and I want to know why as a taxpayer, and I want somebody to find out who's the who is Raytheon paying in Congress to have that take place?
3: Right, uh, I could see them doing like a, maybe a memorial on the young, um, the person that get, did get killed right. in Charlottesville. That makes sense. Yes. Okay? You know? And then... Uh, but that's it.
0: It's not that it's not not a news story. Yeah. And it's not inappropriate to say a year later how, what what has changed in America, how are we dealing with it, but wall-to-wall coverage all day? Yeah. Come no. on. Come on. Come
3: on. <laughs> Come on. Go back to Russia, at least. Come on.
0: All right. Uh, almost uh, to our last segment here. The mailbag... So if you want to write in, uh, editor at we Are Libertarians.com, or you can leave us a voicemail by calling the number at the bottom of the, of the we Are Libertarians.com website, call uh, the Google voice number, leave us a voicemail, and we'll answer your question. I'm so glad that he's on the video chat. He's in. He's uh, a Patreon member, I believe. Uh, and Grant Headley, uh, did I say your name right? I'm so sorry if I didn't. Uh, you know how I mispronounce names. Grant <laughs> Hendley. Uh wrote in and he says the following I tried to boil down the things we see in media and what the government sells us and I think I found a common thread between most stories I've been watching the news lately from the right and left and the common theme seems to be seems to me to be fear safety and security are in jeopardy outrage willful blindness of inconsist- inconsistency and dehumanization or lack of empathy I would say close to 80% of stories I saw the news pushing had one or more of these themes All of the above mentioned themes of the news cycle and government policy reflect these tendencies, which don't require much thought to understand the scope of the argument that one side is pushing. Nuance has no place in this day and age for the average person. You go to the sites you trust because they reinforce your beliefs and you don't have to go through with the death of your ego in light of new information. Honestly, this may sound kind of dumb and far-fetched, but I heard a podcast with a psychiatrist and who looked objectively at where the culture was going, and said that the reason we are heading this way was to was the deification of self-esteem and happiness over reason and purpose. So, thanks for writing in, Grant. What do you think about that?
4: Sorry, I was. That's
0: all right. You were reading the you were reading the chat. Um, the chat. So, I totally agree. I believe that, uh, you know, most of what the news does, having worked in media and continuing to work in media, and my entire job is to get your attention and to stop you and to get you engaged with what I have going so then you can join the Patreon so then we can keep this funding and I can, you know, uh, pay for various services and freelancers and things like that. So, you know, get
3: things set up and get things fixed. It's- right.
0: And so there's there's a problem with media when that becomes your focus is I have a commodity in an audience, and I need to wring money out of them and so when you commoditize your audience, you start to do things that are improper it's that are unethical. you start to scare them to try and get their uh, attention you try to make them think that they are in jeopardy. you try to trigger those fight fight or flight responses. You know, you try to outrage them and stoke an emotion. It doesn't matter what the emotion is as long as there's an emotion. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and that's why you really have to treat your audience as, you know, my goal with every show and Harry and and everybody that's in We Are Libertarians, our goal is to give you information so you sound smarter when you're talking with your friends. So when you're having Facebook fights, you have more confidence in your knowledge Mm -hmm. that we give you an aha moment or make you think about something in a different way every time you tune in and every segment you know, so we're, our focus is on what we are giving you as broadcasters, as a program. And when you do that, then you're, you grow and you do things the right way because you're putting your audience first. It's when you start to put money first that you then start to flip things upside down. And I think that's where TV news first uh, it, it has really fallen
3: flat. That's one thing I also do, like, uh, in respect, of because Chris does a great job of, one, gaining everybody's trust, being trying to be factual, showing his sources, not being shy, like, no, this is where I'm getting my things, not being right. shy about that, you know, showing them, like, this is where I'm going for, and he builds that trust. And he also doesn't sit up here every week after week selling things that he, one, does not or will not use, just, you know, basically violating the trust. Does he use Amazon? Heck yeah, he uses Amazon. You mm-hmm. know, does he? Does he use, also use Patreon probably to support other goals? If he doesn't, I know I do. I've supported a lot of different people on Patreon. Sure. So we You know, so the simple so fact that you're only using and selling products or services that you have used to helps further that trust. Yeah. And the thing is, you watch when that money motive then you're just selling anything that comes your way. Yeah. It just pops up. Like I joke about it, you know, say like, you know, if you you know if you run a like a beer or a um coffee place you want us to do, I have for you, I'll drink your stuff here on air. Like I joke about that, but if your coffee sucks, your beer sucks, I'm not gonna drink it or put it up here on the air, no how much it will okay, you know I'll sell that. I will sell it quick, but <laughs> <laughs> and that's where dear leaders in charge. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's that money money because you also think with CNN is because they will push the thing that gets the ratings, they'll get the ad revenue out there and get that ad revenue generated. Yeah, yeah, it's. You know, it's sometimes when you kind of respect certain like news places or something like especially podcasts when they'll go like, "Hey, they're an advertiser of this show. This is what they did wrong this week." And I like I I loved watching like um, especially um, places that do that. Like um, one thing I like to do is Threatwire from Hack Five. They do it totally um, revenue generator. Just kind of like we libertarians are not trying to run on ads, so they can be objective of privacy and security threats of everything that's out there so yes. they're not seen beholden to anyone that show is completely funded by the crowd we know that we need to support that show because if they had to take rev ad revenues like you know, okay then, then they will never be you know objective on every you know whoever giving that
4: yeah
0: so i think you have to pay attention to where money's coming from it doesn't yeah. mean that there isn't good journalism that comes out of cnn or the new york times but you have to remember that it's corporate media yeah first and foremost so All right. Thanks, Grant, for writing in. If you want to write in, then please uh, send us a letter at editor at wearelibertarians.com or send us a voicemail. All right. Switching gears on the line is our good friend Brian Nichols of The Brian Nichols Show, which you can find at briannicholsshow.com. It's N I C H O L S uh, in all the podcast apps. Brian, what do you got coming up this week? Chris Spangle. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, this
5: week I'm actually going to be joined by another special guest. I am joined by the, uh, the editor-in-chief and founder of 71Republic, Matt Geiger. We're going to discuss his uh, new uh, venture there in 71Republic, uh, discuss the value of a, uh, a more decentralized news source like uh, what he has there. And uh, we're going to discuss where things stand in the uh, libertarian media as things uh, are going forward. Yeah, Matt's like, what, 16 – he, he's he's a young he's a young guy, but my God, he's got a hell of a head in his shoulders.
0: He's really smart, good kid. Uh, what's he got? What's he doing over there? What is he changing something from just traditional news? No, I mean he's he's sticking. I mean
5: he's done a lot of uh, change over the past uh, few months in terms of focusing more on reporting news in a, in a more uh, professional way, really, which is what it comes down to. And uh, I wanted to really have him on to discuss that in more detail, and then discuss um, you know where where they see themselves going over the next uh, six months to a year.
0: Yeah, he's a good kid, and that's a good sight, and I'm glad that you had him on. So, uh, have you done have you done the interview yet? No, it's taking
5: place. So we're recording here right now. It's on a uh, Monday, but we're we're going to be recording on Wednesday afternoon, and then um, on Thursday, I'm actually going to be joined by Alex Merced, the uh, new vice chair for the Libertarian National Committee. I got in a little back and forth with. Uh, good old chairman Nicholas Sarwark on Twitter, um, which just seems to be his modus operandi. Um, but I thought it'd be good to have Nick on, or uh, to have Alex on and uh, maybe be able to discuss how the LP National can have a better form of dialogue with their, uh, their members.
0: You couldn't ask for two different people than like Arvind Vora and Alex Merced, the new vice chair.
5: It's like literally flipping a switch. I mean you go from <laughs> one who's literally just a bomb thrower to Alex who – I dare say is one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. He's
0: – he's like I always say I'm the Winnie the Pooh of the libertarian movement, but he might be it. I'm, I'm a little more pricklier than he is.
5: <laughs> I'm, does that make you the porcupine of the, the yeah. libertarian movement?
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm more like Tigger. I'm just mischievous and can't stop bouncing everywhere. Um, I dare I ask what that makes me? Ah. <sighs> you <laughs> you're. I'm not depressed. That's 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 the, that's the difference. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You're like you're you're a very happy person. All right, Brian. Uh, thanks for joining us here on the show. We look forward to your interview with you. So you have two episodes this week. Yes,
5: yeah, so I'm going to have a. Well, maybe I, okay. I'm not sure yet how we're going to release this because I also do have another special episode. Yeah, I was a joint. I actually joined uh, Andrea Ruth and Kimberly Ross over at uh, RedState.com back. A week and a half ago, and I discussed what it's like to be a libertarian in a a duopoly type of world. So um, I have that bonus content, so I'm going to be able to distribute that to my viewers. Um, So I might space things out a little bit so you guys, you have a little more time to digest what what we're uh, putting out here in the next few weeks.
0: Awesome. Great. Tell the people where they can find your show.
5: Absolutely. Find me over on, thanks to Chris Spangle and the We Are Libertarians uh, network group. Uh, you can find me on com and also find me on Twitter at bnickelsliberty. Uh, I always do uploads at uh, both locations. So uh, iTunes, Stitcher, Soundhound, you know, whatever works for you.
4: All right,
0: great. Uh, yes, we take care of our boys, don't we? We take good yes, care you of do. you. Yes, Your
5: leader is very
3: generous
0: and thorough. All right, thanks for joining us, Brian. We'll see you next week. <laughs> thanks, Chris. All right, Harry, final thoughts for the episode?
3: It is not unusual for um, me to love
0: anyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: one for us as a society to take, sit back, and look at um, basically the uh, things that we've done in our past and say, "Like, hey, we can do better." It's okay. We, we, do, you know, it's not the first thing, um, quote unquote. Like I said, Western society has done right. We can we can be better once we found a better solution or it can just identify like, Hey, this doesn't work. It's okay. Right. We can you know, we can change and we can do better as a society as a whole, because regardless of what you think or not, it's like, you know, is this thing going to work? Is this going to work to 20 years? It's like, it's, To me, it's almost still shameful that the only punishment we can really come to think of is this very lazy idea of one putting someone to death, right? You know, or that the only way we know to get information out of someone is to put to put a stone over their chest and just put stones on top until they commit to the to say that they're a witch. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's all I see when I hear all of that. So yeah. That's that's what I, That's my final thought on those two subjects also. Hey, Loki Wall's back on Wednesday, and we'll do Liberty Chill on, on uh, Indianapolis edition. I'll put in at Triton on Friday, so coming up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And make sure that you uh, sign up to start your own Liberty and Chill. <laughs> Uh, I, I like this song so much, we're going to use it as the <laughs> outro. Uh, the Liberty and Chill sign-up form is at WeAreLibertarians.com. Go check that out if you want to start your own social group. And I think that is key. It's, it's about getting out and talking to people as human beings and in person. And empathy is key. So... Thanks for joining us. Uh, We were talking here just a moment ago about some tweaks to the new Mm -hmm. new format, maybe cutting out a couple segments or rearranging some things. So it's a work in progress. Hopefully you like that, and hopefully that makes your listening experience easier. That's why we're doing it. Uh, And giving you more resources to share with your friends and start winning more people to libertarianism. That's what we're here for. And we thank you for joining us. Be sure to support the program. Go hit the big support button. Over at WeAreLibertarians.com, donate with Crypto, PayPal, Patreon, shop with us on Amazon. And uh, if, he, if if financially, just forget that. Share the podcast, man. Yeah, share. Go give us a rating and review. We support, we support you, and so we'd like you to support us. So thanks, everybody, for joining us here on We Are Libertarians, and we will see you on Friday.